Welcome to episode 100, a very, very special episode of Destination Linux. This Destination Linux is a podcast made up by four allegedly, but right now we're going to go ahead and just say the greatest podcast ever by the best podcast hosts ever. Uh, unfortunately, True. three of the hosts couldn't show up this week. If you look at the last announcement, but wow, that's okay. Wow. It's okay. But this podcast is us discussing discussing our passion for Linux. Before we get started, we just want to thank each and every one of you for listening and supporting this podcast over the years. Uh, thanks to you, this show has continued to grow in the popularity and reach. Uh, this show is downloaded in over a hundred countries with tens of thousands of downloads each month and is one of the best-known Linux podcasts out there. We couldn't have done this without you and your support. So without further ado, let's just get started with episode 100. Yeah! Yes. So I'm Michael, and with me today are my three podcasting compadres. Ryan, how are you doing this week? I'm awesome, man. Pumped. Nice. Zeb, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Michael. And last but not least, Noah, how are you? Hey, Hey, man, good. So, uh, Ryan, what's up? What have you been up to this week? Well, look, uh, I, uh, the big move has happened. Look at these lights that we got set up in the new podcasting room. The fancy lights are going. We can Looks even good. go some Dosky Green action in here. But we finally got the move completed. That's what's been taking up my whole life. And the first thing I wanted to do was get this room set up so we could not miss another podcast like we missed last week. But thank you guys for delaying so I could be here for episode 100. Which is, by the way, a two-day event. Oh, we're yeah. gonna have recording Friday and Sunday as well, where we'll have some special guests on. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. So, Hashtag of course, dedication. by the time there you go, dedication. So that's what I've been up to is just moving and changing this room because, believe it or not, this gray room was Miami Dolphin teal when we moved in, and wow. that was not gonna work for a podcast. Good decision. So. <laughs> Good decision. Yeah. <laughs> so, so no, what's what's new with you? I've been doing all sorts of fun things. I, uh, I, I've been working my terrestrial radio uh, show job, which actually Destination Linux made an appearance. I talked a little bit about the podcast on the, on the terrestrial show. Turned out there's a couple of people that were interested, and so they are watching for the first time or downloading yes. it their first time this week. So that's pretty cool. Nice. And, uh, playing, and then playing with some Raspberry Pi projects. So my son and I are designing a Raspberry Pi uh, school bell system that he's going to use to let him know when he's late for school or running, getting, when he needs to get up for school and stuff like that. We're, we're running that all off of a Raspberry Pi 3. We went through a si- first iteration, and we've got some ideas of how to improve it and make it a little bit better. And so we're going we're gonna to give that a second round. Very cool. The Raspberry Pi applications are endless. That is such an awesome idea. Yeah. The, the, and, yep. and there's even more with the Steam Link. You can do that, you can do that now. Right. That's mm-hmm. cool. So, so uh, Zeb, you've, uh, you always have something to do. Uh, you're usually in trouble with something. So what have you been doing this week? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I had trouble this week with my computer. And for some reason, um, what normally goes swimmingly well decided to blow up my UEFI. So I lost every distribution when I tried oh. to install Solus. Um, so, and what was really strange as well was uh, normally I use a Super Grub 2 rescue disk and that will find most of the distributions that have been installed and then you can get back into one of them and then start from scratch. Well, the only one that survived was MX-18, which nice. I thought was fantastic. <laughs> um, so I got that back up and running. I got into a distribution, downloaded what I needed, reinstalled Peppermint. I'm done. Do you remember I talked about only having five distributions? Nah, two. 
two distributions, Peppermint and MX, and I am not messing about anymore. I just, I had everything running so well. And then just because I wanted to try out a new distribution. So all of a sudden it wasn't. And it wasn't. <laughs> That's a pretty great combo, though, Peppermint and MX. You really can't go wrong with that. That's mm-hmm. a, yeah, that is a fantastic combo. And one other thing, I've been playing with the Peppermint 9 Respin, Michael. Um, what and now? it's in private beta. <laughs> and no, I can't tell you anything about it. Okay. So What's I, that? I, I like how you just brought it 100. up. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. That's hey, what you call uh, a tease. Uh, There's nothing wrong uh, with that. I'm okay. okay. It's a tease. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So are we going to talk about it 101? Depends when Are it's we? out. It's called, click, it's called clickbait. All right. All right. That's fair. <laughs> Danny H. writes in and he says, Hi, I live in a city called Pretoria in South Africa. I've been using Linux desktop on my personal computer since around 2008. Early on, I used Windows and then I tried Ubuntu at times. When Ubuntu 10.04 arrived, I switched over to using Linux full time. I used email and web browsing along with the odd video conversion. About six years ago, I installed Ubuntu on my work laptop as a dual boot. Our IT administrator was using Linux and assisted me in setting up my dual boot and getting the operation going. I prefer working with Linux, but as part of my work, I had to do some things on Windows. So I tried a couple of distros and finally settled on Ubuntu long-term. At home, I am the system administrator. I am the administrator and install and set up and manage all of the issues. Since about three or four years ago, I stopped dual booting and have run Windows inside of virtual machines. This year, I finally switched to Manjaro, and the first install had a small hiccup that after which I worked through, it worked out just fine. Recently, my son wanted to use a music package called FL Studio, which is a Windows-based package. My experience with Wine was variable. I tried the installation. To my surprise, it worked very well. The sound was somewhat crackling at times. Video Expert does not work very well. But it is mainly an audio composing package, which works well, and we can create MP3s. I'm still trying to figure out how to use Proton standalone and may try this at some point. I heard about Proton on your podcast. I enjoy watching every week and download it to my phone and enjoy listening when I drive to work or have some free time. I learn a lot from the topics you discuss and advice regarding packages works very well. Thanks for the great work, especially Ryan. Kind regards, Danny H. Finally, someone who (laughs) respects. Oh, you added that part. Darn it. Now, thank you very much, Danny H., for this awesome email here. This goes to show, Michael mentioned the show is downloaded in over 100 countries it's amazing to see all of those represented in emails at times, all the, the mail that we get and being able to see all of those individuals that the show is able to reach through the power of the internet and podcasting and those things. So that's very awesome. And obviously you found ways to make Linux work for you and utilizing Manjaro is your, is your distro of choice. And that's awesome. And able to get things working through wine when you need a specific program that you have to use is definitely something you could do. Is there some other though, audio studio packages out there that do, is anybody familiar with FL studio would be a good replacement for that for Linux? I'm going to start with audacity and, and see where we can get there. Audacity is one of the most underused programs I think out there in Linux Mm-hmm. And what you find is people like Veronica Belmont, having no allegiance to Linux or open source, still find themselves on Audacity because it's such a powerful and useful tool. If I outgrew Audacity, I would start looking at something like LMMS, or I might look at um, uh, the what's the uh, what's the there is a proprietary version of there's, an audio software. Actually, 
there's runs a on Linux. Reaper and Traction. Reaper is the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. So there's um, the thing about Reaper is it's not open source. It is a proprietary piece of software, but it is made to the exact same standards and competes in the same world as Pro Tools. And so obviously there again, Reaper is one of those things that people choose it regardless of its commitment to Linux, which mm. they're increasing on. So I might give either one of those a shot. But like I said, I would start with Audacity good. and see where that gets me. Now, when he mentions Proton on this, is he discussing Proton Mail, you think, or is there a different Proton? I think he's talking here? about Proton DB, the Proton from uh, SteamPlay. From SteamPlay, okay. yes. Gotcha. Yeah, okay, yeah. SteamPlay Proton, gotcha. Because you, yeah. you can technically run applications like, well, theoretically, you can run applications through Proton, not just games. Um, but there's really like there hasn't not, there's been some testing, but there's not like any full projects that are doing that. Nice, great mm -hmm. suggestions there. Absolutely. All right, so let's change it up this week. I always um, banter on about emails and asking you to send them through, but what we'd like you to do for this week is send us through uh, an email of your favorite episode. Yeah. Um, it can be a segment or a guest, but let us know your favorites at comments at destinationlinux.org. So, of course, we couldn't have an episode 100 without talking to the two guys who started it all. So, Rob and Rocco, welcome to the, the show. Welcome back to the show, actually. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. They, these two gentlemen wanted to build a podcast that was about uh, everyday users discussing Linux and their passion for Linux. And since that time, they passed the torch on to us, but their passion and love for Linux remains. So, uh, again, just thank you so much for making the show. Yeah, I mean... Listen, when we look back, we were talking before the show about all the prior episodes, about you guys getting started, about some of the funny moments, about, uh, you know, looking back on your first episodes and even talking about the fact that it wasn't going to be named necessarily Destination Linux for a while there. It could have been R&R, &R, which would have been good because it would have been Ryan and Rob because Zeb's real name is actual Rob. So we could have kept that going, I guess. We just had to kick Michael and Noah off. That would have been successful. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> so thinking back, Rocco, I wanted to start with you here, and then we'll uh, get Rob's answer. But I want to know from both of you, what is it like having so much free time now that you're not doing the show? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in the beginning, Rob was actually doing the recording of Destination Linux. And he would talk about how much time he spent editing the show and everything. And, you know, it was like, okay. Um, I never really realized how much time he spent editing the show and all the time that he put into it until I was actually doing the recording. And it just took up so much time. Um, I have a lot of free time now that I've been playing Rocket League with. So <laughs> you're probably better at well, we know you're better at gaming because you were getting headshots like crazy last time we played Ballistic Overkill. But you actually have free time to like go outside and stuff too. That's got to be amazing. Sunlight is good. Yes, yeah, sunlight. Good. <laughs> and, and, and Rob, you were doing this. You know, like like Rocco was saying, you were started when you started the show. You were doing a lot of the editing and everything else. I mean, you had to gain a lot of free time when you were made the decision, okay, I've, I've got to step away and do some other things. Absolutely on the free time. And I think looking back, had we known the amount of time it actually took, I think we would have maybe <laughs> second guessed our idea to do a, a, a podcast. You know, we, neither one of us had ever been down that road. So we just didn't know. So, um, you know, and then when you combine, if you're just doing an audio podcast, that's one thing. But when you mix in the video, and you're getting it 
prep for YouTube. And then you've got all the other things, the editing in the background, which you all know now. That's where I think looking back again, had we known, <clears throat> it probably wouldn't have happened. You know? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we I, were so it, looking for things to cut out um, to try to cut down the show because it just took up so much time. I don't think people realize it because like Rocco, when you invited me onto the podcast and you were like, hey, you want to do this full time? And I was like, sure. At the time you were doing everything. You were writing the episodes, you were editing the episodes, everything. And so you were like, hey, if you want to jump in and help out somewhere. And I was like, okay, I'll I'll take over (laughs) the writing of the episode. And I just couldn't believe how much time this took. It's in, in people who you know, when you think about a podcast, you think, oh, they, you know, write a few news articles down, they show up on a certain time, and then they hit record. But it's not like that. You've got emails to respond to, social media, video editing that takes forever to render and edit all of the mistakes, especially on our shows uh, that that we make. And you've got, of course, writing all of the episodes because you can't just put a news article in there because the Linux community will not let you be uneducated on a subject matter (laughs) so you better understand what you're talking about that's true you know so i I thought that was really interesting and um first of all i just want to say thank you guys for dedicating that time and Mm -hmm. um i didn't i wasn't on the show rob when you were there barocco thank you for holding that torch and doing everything for such a long stretch of time because if you hadn't done that destination linux would have flopped at that point so we appreciate that well noah has to understand all of that time i mean he's into everything right Noah? yeah i i the the joke between michael and i is that uh, i i juggled uh, i i i studied juggling before i started doing podcasting <laughs> just to, just to kind of keep all of that straight um you know, I, I guess here's my question for you. So you, uh, you, everybody knows that you are Big Daddy Linux. That's that's your username. That's kind of who you're who you're known by. And predating, which I recently learned, predating Destination Linux was Big Daddy Linux Live, and that airs on YouTube. And what you've done, which I really think is cool, is you've essentially created a community hangout for people just to come and hang out. Just anybody can join. It's not about the production. It's not about the show. It's just about the hangout. <laughs> You've obviously you've stayed in touch with your community and through Telegram and through Big Daddy Linux Live, but have you finally stopped distro hopping? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't think that's ever going to happen. Um, These are the hard hitting questions. <laughs> see, in order to stop distro hopping, you have to find the distro that is perfect for you, and I just have not yet found that. Um, there's always that one item and I ha- I happen to come up with these most ridiculous feature requests, you know, <laughs> and bugs that I find that just work for everybody else and just don't work for me. So I don't think I'll ever stop distro hopping, but I have seriously cut it down. So you have running running I run Arch, do you know? <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you start with that, man? <laughs> and uh, and and like what desktop environment uh, like Give me the perfect arch setup for uh, for Rocco. Plasma. KD Plasma. Nice. Really? Look at that. Hot arch? Looking, looking like Unity. That's good. Now, too. Let, let me ask you a real <laughs> question here, Rocco. I, KD Plasma has come a long way. It's it's one that I've started using, but I hesitated to use it because of Michael. Did you sit there for a moment and say, I don't want to use KDE because of Michael? <laughs> <laughs> no. Wow. My channel when I started YouTube was based on KDE. I was from I used KDE from 3.5 days. So 
Um, Michael was obviously in that as well, but uh, that was before meeting him. So it was a pain after I met him. <laughs> well, and I've got to jump in here and say, uh, for anybody who's not familiar with uh, Rocco's channel, go in there and check it out. If you're in, at all interested in KDE, because he has Absolutely. 735 videos on KDE settings alone. Right, Rocco, isn't that the count? 735. <laughs> no, I may it, be it's off almost by there. 500. so rob um tell us what you've been up to lately with all of your spare time well you know i'd love to say that uh, i've uh, produced a huge number of videos for linux quest and all of that but that's not been the case i've kind of pulled back a little bit but one of the fun things i've been working with is uh linux on samsung decks so um, nice. I wound up oh, getting cool. a Galaxy Tab S4 and um, have been kind of following what Samsung has been doing on the Linux side through through what they call DeX, which is kind of their desktop environment, if you will, for Android. And uh, it's showing some promise. It's still in beta. I've uh, been messing around with that. Still distro hopping. As a mm-hmm. matter of fact, about an hour before the show, I decided to go ahead and load Manjaro <laughs> uh, 18 up just to see how things were. But, by the way, Rob, not to interrupt, but we call that extreme distro hopping. Yes. We, we've named that. You do it an hour before you're supposed to do something important. Yeah. You know, and it's that pressure. It's that exhilaration you get from, am I going to make it in time? Is this yeah. load? Is everything going to work? You That's know? the way to be a man. <laughs> no, it's not. That's the way to put gray hair on the video. Production. It used to drive Rocco nuts. I'd That's be like, Rocco would be like, "Hey, are you getting ready for the show?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm ready. I'm uh, switching distros right now." He's like, "What is wrong with yeah. you?" Wait, it's like 15 <laughs> minutes before the show, and I'm messaging him, uh, "Where are you at?" I'm installing Arch, or I'm installing this. I'm like, "What are you doing, dude?" Like. <laughs> And it was a minutes might I'm be a not... bit excessive. I'm not sure if that's that might be cutting it a little close. I pulled it off every time, man. Every mm-hmm. time. That's faith so, in Linux. That's what that is, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's just, well, so so what distro guy. was you on, Rob? What distro and desktop? Uh, so right now, Manjaro 18 with XFCE. Mm-hmm. Nice. So prior to that, KDE Neon and uh, dabbled a little in the latest uh, Deepin. But, uh, you know, Deepin only lasts so long, whatever it is about Deepin. Eventually, you feel like it's uh, something from uh, Hasbro or something like that, you know. <laughs> so what made you go Manjaro XFCE this round? What was your thought process in, in that? Just, just uh, you know, it's just one of those things where, I, don't get me wrong, love KDE, love Plasma. It's just a matter of, of just a change, yeah. purely just for a change. I mean, XFCE is just, it, it's my go-to. It was kind of the first desktop environment I fell in love with. And anytime I'm feeling that, like, you know, I need that nostalgia feeling of Linux back, I'll go to a distro with XFCE because it just brings it home for me. So I was curious what your, why you went XFCE yeah. in there. It's kind of that. And sometimes it's just, I just feel like I want a need for more simplicity in things. Not that Plasma mm-hmm. can't be simple. It can be as simple as you want it to be. It's just that it seems like XFCE just hits the mark for that. And I got I to gotta back up to something, too, uh, with, with uh, Rocco there. I got to hand it to him because what he's not telling is the rest of the story where I may have edited the first four or five podcasts, and then I think he took over. And then he took over the notes and the editing. So I've got to hand it to you, Rocco. That uh, He really took over when he took over. Man. 
Yeah, Imagine doing all that. Yeah. So see, Michael, you have some shoes to fill. I'm gonna stop doing notes and let's see if you can actually fill Rocco's shoes. All right. So we're also announcing this is the last episode of Destination. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it was all fun. I mean, yeah. it does take it did take up a lot of time, but it was all it was all worth it. Yeah. We had a good time. I mean, you look back at all of even just the interviews that we did, not just talking about like specific episodes on news and stuff but i was listing out all of the people that were interviewed on destination linux and you have uh dolphin from mx linux was on twice oh, yeah. ike yeah. was on three times um matt dark one was on once wimpy aj, AJ rising from youtube yeah, uh, martin wimpress was on twice jody james from ob revenge uh, on down the list, Michael Tennell, that guy. Yeah, was that episode 18 was great. <laughs> um, David and Dustin. Do you like how he has the name of the number of the members? I know. Like, like 80-some episodes ago, and he has a member. He knows. He's like, yeah, I was... He's that guy who orders a trophy. I bet you has a trophy case, and he's like, appeared on episode 18, Destination Linux, and there buys his own trophies. There are two bookcases over here. It's just stacked with trophies. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> the Manjaro guys were on. Oh, yeah, that was a great episode. Yeah, uh, Michael Larabelle, uh, yeah. Alan Pope, uh, Liam from Gaming on Linux, Stuart Language, Daniel Foray. I mean, the list goes on. Noah was on. Yeah. <laughs> Need I say more? <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. so it, I can't we, tell you which episode, though. <laughs> See, because you're not. Why conceded. not? You should have that down pat. Conceited. Wow. I'm, I'm just conceded. not a professional like Michael. I'm just I'm just, yeah. I just like the information and data. That's it. It junkie. contains himself. It's metadata of Michael. I you also know, know it, when it, the it, first episode that I when I when I actually joined as a host too. But that's that's actually because I put it on the website, so like it's listed there. So I had to look it up for that. So it was just for prosperity. <laughs> but thinking back to that, Rocco, you know, um, when we were doing the podcast together, I just remember the excitement when we would land one of those guests. Yeah, like it was legitimate geek squeal excitement like <laughs> holy crap they're actually gonna show up you know we're gonna get these big name individuals and when they get on they don't see themselves as important but when you follow their work and you think about the genius of their work and everything they give to the linux community when you have them on they're like celebrities to us so you right. almost get that like, I, I remember several times getting off when we would do a big interview and going, oh, I was so stupid, Rocco. Can you cut that part out where I sound like a fanboy? Which is most any time I have I a good <laughs> Yeah, and you did. And you always made it look good. Um, but it, it, those were that is exciting when you're doing a podcast and you get those big guests on. They don't see themselves as that. That's kind of what I picked up. But to us, it, it was a huge deal. You yeah. Know? yeah. But that was what it was all about, bringing the people behind the Linux community to the community and letting them see them, not just for five minutes of questions that you would hear anywhere else, but a full interview of the person behind it, yeah. his workflow and, and who he is, that kind of thing. That was what you know, we were trying to bring to it. So yeah. Rocco, our, our first interview with Ike, I remember how excited we were. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. we were, we were so pumped. And we thought, I thought, you know, we got, man, that was awesome. That was a great. And then the first email we get, I pull up the first email. I'm like, oh, we got our reply email about the episode. And the email says, clearly you weren't prepared for this interview. Yeah, that's exactly what it said. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The bubble was bust, you know. Well, 
But we get. We, yeah. we actually, Here you are hoping everybody's going to share it around instead of telling you why you should never do it. Again. <laughs> well, the interviews is actually one of the things that a lot of people like about. The, there was actually a review about the show uh, a couple months ago where they're talking about specifically the interviews. One of the things that they enjoy the most. So that like the interviews, the structure that the, the show has is great. So thank you guys for you know setting that up. Um, yeah. But it, it, it's uh, it's fantastic, and I know Ryan. You know, he mentioned earlier that he would, you know, ask Rocco to remove things where he was acting like a fanboy. And now when he asked me to remove things, I don't. He does it. He really doesn't. <laughs> He's like, no. It's too much. It's like editing. a glow around it when it right. <laughs> exactly. I'll just zoom in when it, on his face when he says something <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, but I think it has, I think to show you guys have made it have a good balance too. So yeah. it's yeah. not just about interviews. I think the news shows were more, you had more fun during the new shows because it was more of a yeah. uh, conversation. Yeah, the new shows are. Uh, so are, I think it I think it has a good balance. Thank yeah. you. Uh so let's uh let's move on to uh like you know the upcoming year so the 2019's approaching and we when you know every podcast has to do this in some way. So do you have any predictions for 2019 that you'd like to share? So let's start with uh Rob. Uh, well, I think that we're going to see more out of Samsung. I think you're going to see um Linux come to the forefront in a few surprising areas like through Samsung mm-hmm. and uh, even Microsoft. You know, if you see what's happening with Microsoft, there's more going on with Linux with Microsoft than we've ever mm-hmm. seen before. Yeah. So I think we'll see some surprises there. So talking about the decks real quick before we move on that, because you're one of the few people I know who've actually have it and use it. Yep. What do you, what is your impressions of decks? Well, you mean the deck side or the Linux side? Only? The Linux side of deck. Yeah, yeah. It's I'm hopeful. Um, it's the promise is there. I mean, um, the way it's the way it's set up, it's it's a very easy switchover. So you can go from using your favorite Android app to oh wait a minute, I want to launch in and use uh, Open Office or Libre, you know, whatever Office Suite you uh, WPS will install. Um, so to be able to just switch on the fly like that, there's a lot of promise. It's just, I don't want to get um, overly excited and too pumped, you know, to be yeah. let down one more time because we've seen that in the Linux community over and over again. Right. A um, year of the Linux desktop. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, I think where they are now is it's as good as I've seen anyone attempt. Well, so you're um, saying it might so 2019 might be the year of the Linux Dex top. Oh, hey, there you go. Oh, you're all wow. night, folks. <laughs> it just never stops. And we can't edit that out now, Rocco. <laughs> nope. It's there to stay. It's there. Because he'll there. think it's genius. But it's it is genius. Usable. It is certainly usable. Uh, Bluetooth support, file support is there already. Of, of course, it's in beta. I'm waiting to see if there's going to be another beta release, and then we'll do a couple more follow-up videos. Um kind of hit and miss on what will install and what will not install. But for the most part, you've got a full workable desktop on a, a 10 inch tablet. Nice. Yeah. And on your channel, Linux quest, you have multiple videos out there today showing it on the galaxy S four and different applications and things that you're running out there like uh, blender GIMP, the kind of gamut of Linux apps out there. So right. people need to check yeah, that out. That's very cool. I uh, would love to see uh, something like um, KDE Neon or something become available. Right now it's Ubuntu, which um, if, if you guys know my channel is not my favorite distro out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's using the uh, like the fallback mode for GNOME, right? I think that's yes. what it's doing. Yeah. And that's right. 
the I've I've heard that it actually has the ability to while you're still using the, the Linux on Dex like mode, it could still run Android apps at the same time. Like, can you have them like side by side sort of thing? I haven't tried that. I'll have to dig into that. Okay, cool. Because hey, I, I was told, yeah. new video, <laughs> there you go, new video. There <laughs> That's you go. Right. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, your YouTube channel, Rob, um, people should go check that out, Linux Quest. I'm yes. sure oh, yeah. most of them are already subscribers, but if you haven't, uh, you have what, <clears throat> almost eleven thousand subscribers? Now? Yeah, I was like, like he needs help with subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> My way, Linux he has Quest. more. More than we do, everybody has combined. <laughs> yeah. Can you send us some subscribers, please? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 But there's there's a ton of videos on pretty much every distribution out there. So it's a pretty awesome yeah. channel. We'll have it a link in the show sure. notes as well. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yep. Uh, so let's let's get back to the predictions. And uh, so Rocco, do we have to? Yeah, we're we're, we're wondering. Stalling for wasn't he? We're running. He's like, we're... by the way, check out Toss Geek channel. Too, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ask by the way, did you see and... Deb's channel where he runs over <laughs> caravans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So in 2019, so how long do you think you're going to stay on Solus for then? Um, probably. <laughs> I'm well. I could. I could stay on Solus the whole year, actually. But you did. I mean, it may. I may not use it, but I could stay on it. Oh, it okay. He's going to have like a partition, partition sitting right. Yeah. It's already on there. So <laughs> last week's middle challenge was Solus. So um, yeah. So it could be on there. For the whole year okay but i mean i'm gonna go with something safe because you know you hear the normal all the time things about um canonical being bought or yeah you know the year of the linux desktop so i'm just gonna go with something safe and say microsoft switches to linux that's wow. safe that what what level what level do they switch is it going to be like windows switch or is it going to be like they're going to put more effort into like the they have their own distro no windows will be based off of linux okay that's a very safe one i agree that's safe windows based on linux is safe i'm like am i missing a joke and then you guys finally started laughing yeah all right no i think that's interesting that's an interesting prediction uh what will they name it like winix or windows it's Lindos. It's just Windows. Lindos. No, Lindos. Yeah, Lindos. Yeah. I mean, they they already took the to talk. They uh, trademark copyright from someone else who tried to do that. So, like, yeah, you can't use that. So, we're gonna have. It. We want it for later. Yep. <laughs> I think I just read where Notepad is going to be open source, Rocco. So you may be onto something. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they are open sourcing a lot of stuff. Which <laughs> Rocco is good. makes a prediction. He never fails. But he knows my predictions. Just yeah. Science. Seventy years from right. now, there's Rocco. I told you. <laughs> It's gonna happen. He's in that nursing home. <laughs> he gets his iPad. I told you all, Destination Linux. <laughs> Love it. Um, since you two pioneered the show, we thought it would be great to kind of get you to think back and give us each of you what your most memorable moment on the show is. Um, it could be a in the scenes blooper, or let me say one of the most moments, a great guest or anything that stands out when I ask that question of just a memorable moment of making the show. Rob, we'll start with you. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a tough, well, lots of memorable moments. Uh, the one that, <laughs> not just one moment, but we got to a point where the news was so rapid for a while and we were just really out of time to really do the show properly on some weeks. And so we'd get to a point where we'd get the news and we would just wing it. And I would be <laughs> reading through and I'm like, I don't know what I'm talking about. 
And Rocco was, you could tell Rocco on the other end is looking at me like, Rob, you're not making any sense. <laughs> so we had moments like that where, it's, you know, I'm just reading the word. I think we both had moments like that. We've all had moments like that. In fact, you know, I do the news episodes, you know, write all the news over and stuff. And there are moments where that the episode we're airing, it's my turn to cover it. I'm like, what is this story? It'll either be named something funny or it just won't click in your brain. You kind of wing it and hope Michael or Noah or somebody jumps in and fixes your student. It, it just has to be. You have so much news to cover that yeah. you would like, you would have so many topics and you would verse yourself on those topics. Yeah. But you, you would even write notes, cliff notes, so that you would. Re- but by the time the show got there, it was like. Yeah. The new Linux ZF drive space modulator. <laughs> The flux capacitor in this one. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Rocco, you, know, Rob, you read that one. <laughs> hey, there were many times where you saved me because there was I didn't know nothing about that topic. Well, that's what Ryan is doing at the moment. He thinks, um, oh, yeah, we'll give it to Zeb. It will fluff it. That's fine. <laughs> and now in the Linux kernel news. Yep. Rocco, you always had such class in fixing my mistakes is something I didn't know because Rocco was very brave in bringing me on the podcast because I, I was very new to Linux. Even like it must have been a year only I was in Linux when you invited me on the show. So there were a lot of times I was saying things wrong just because I didn't know. But Rocco Word? would be like, well, that's an in- Shut up, Michael. <laughs> Rocco would be like, well, that's an interesting thing. But actually, Ryan, that was something that's been around for a long time. You know, he would do it with such finesse that it would flow. And I always appreciated that. Rocco, uh, maybe I stole your memorable moment there. But, <laughs> but what are some of you? What's a memorable moment for Ryan, you? Ryan, what was your most memorable moment? Of- <laughs> I mean, that would be, look, we're at the 100th episode. It would be ridiculous to try to cut it down to a couple of of moments every episode was filled with awesome moments whether it was the after show with the patrons or the bloopers or the show itself the interviews i think a couple of my favorites were uh the stewart language interview was Mm. absolutely awesome he was a joy to talk to yeah and he's just one of those guys that you meet him one time and you talking to him like uh, you knew him for 10 years i mean that's Mm -hmm. just his demeanor and um I have to say that the episode with uh, the Manjaro guys, when yeah. when uh, you got the <laughs> RTFM, <laughs> Rob, they told me to RTFM. Premier, <laughs> that was a premiere moment. Live on the show, they told me to RTFM. <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, you reacted perfectly to it. You threw the paperwork off. I'm like, this interview's over. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. That was a classic moment. Yeah, that was great. Hmm. So, continuing both of you um, on the spot, what we'd like to ask you now is what you think the desktop um, of the year is and, and what what distro it goes along with. So, Rocco, what is your pick for the best distro and desktop for 2019? Wow, that is putting me on the spot because I'm not prepared for that. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna, I mean, look, me and KD have always had a love-hate relationship i love it and i hate it i mean i love it because it's awesome and it's innovative and there's so many nice features to it and i hate it because sometimes it just doesn't work the way it's supposed to Mm -hmm. um 
and that really hasn't changed. So I'm going to still say that KD Plasma is the desktop of the year. Wow. wow. And paired with which distro? Or does it not matter? Arch. Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah. Who did, uh, well, who didn't see Ryan, that? you were the one that said to me um, before trying Arch. I didn't, I'd never done an Arch install. And Rob, you did many Arch installs. Mm. Uh, but uh, you were the one that said to me, I had always said, I don't want to go through all that hassle with Arch. But really, it's the some of the derivatives that have the issues and the yep. configs that they use that will break eventually. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, after trying Arch, I have yet to have a problem on Arch. That's the funny thing is people have said, and it's actually scared me a little bit, like, oh, just wait three months. But I do updates on Arch every single day. I've been on it now for, it has to be going on two or three months. I've yet to have a single issue break. And I really think, and Michael was the first one to point this out, because I was like, why is Arch so much more stable than some of the Arch-based distros out there? Because undoubtedly, one of the Arch-based distros are amazing at first, and then they break after updates. But Arch, I've not had that experience with. And it's because you're personally loading the programs and things that you want on there. And you understand it, right? You know what you've installed. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. hopefully. You know what you've installed. You know what you've configured. And you've made it for your hardware. And it does seem to make a huge difference in stability uh, for the system. Because I have it on laptops and my desktop, of course. And it's just, it's kind of flawless. So I'm glad you've had that experience. That's great. So, Rob, same question for you. What picks do you have for 2018? Well, to emulate emulate uh, Rocco there, I've got to go with uh, KDE as far as the desktop, KDE Plasma. It's yeah. just you look at the activity there. You look at the momentum they've, they've got there. Um, and for me, it does everything and more than I could ask for in the desktop. Um, configuration, setup. And, you know, for years, it's had a bad rap of being a heavy desktop. And mm-hmm. it's really not. I, I think don't. anyone who spent the proper amount of time with it, um, I think it would be hard for them to say that and, and be honest, you know, and forthright about it. It's just, to me, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And then as far as running, um, running that desktop, I would say for sure, Arch, um, with yeah. a close second, Katie Neon for me is a, excellent setup it's a great combination um but i think at the end of the day you got to go back to arch love it well said we're all fans of arch so everybody else is being so positive (laughs) (laughs) like in obviously that every operating system has room to grow linux is no exception rocco we'll start with you what changes would you like to see in linux what would be exciting if if in 2019 and 2020 we saw some changes or improvement in linux uh, I think they definitely have a long way to go with uh, scaling and 4K displays. Um, I just, you know, realized this. I mean, never had a 4K display before. Uh, recently got one and realized after trying multiple distros how far we are off of having a display that just works out of the box with no issues. So I think that's yeah. definitely... Uh, one thing. And I think the other thing is the community side of it. I think there's still a uh, ways to go, even though we've made a lot of improvements mm-hmm. as far as uh, communication between the community and the Linux uh, devs, distros and, and whatnot. I think there has to still be strides made to 
communicate better. And I'll give you an example. Um, uh, on We tried Solus this week and there was a issue with uh, third-party software, regardless of what it was. I posted a bug on the fabricator for Solus and it was closed and said, you know, it's a, it's a, um, it's a duplicate of this bug and they put a link in there. And regardless of that, there was, I didn't take offense to that, but somebody coming in new to Linux, it would definitely go a long way to add a little bit more um, communication to it to say, hey, uh, this bug, we thank you for reporting it. Thank you for taking the time to do it. But uh, we do, we already have it, you know, committed in this bug over here. Uh, and we'll let you know in the future, whatever, any findings. Just a simple five minute, uh, and I'm sure that I can say that from the outside. I'm sure that there's thousands of bugs that are filed, but I think that's the part that we have to work on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I, I don't disagree. I I question if that's, is that actually solvable? Do you think you can get people to quote unquote, not be lazy? We can try. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's that's really why they created, like a lot of distros or projects created their own like specific uh, role for that in a community manager. And they mm. essentially they go into the say the messages and like try and sometimes they'll do bug like uh, triaging and, and like uh, making sure that the the people who are communicated well both in the sense of like you know people who are involved in the community as well as people who are submitting bugs and things but it depends on right. whether the project has that or not uh, and if it's a small project like Solus where they only have about five people I think um, like there's like there's very little likelihood they'll have somebody who would be you know in that role. Uh, but, well, I just want to say, Michael, that I'm not, it's not a slight against Solus, and it's not a slight against uh, the person closing the bug. It, it's right. not a personal thing. It's just something that you notice and that we can improve on. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree with your point. I, I think that we, we definitely have a lot of uh, situations where people will just – like the worst one is when they close it and say don't fix and don't explain why. They just said it just says won't fix it. And, right. and then there's there's a lot of things that are like that. And and I think that you're you're completely right that they if we were to, as a community, make it more like we would just communicate more and, and yep. at least and like just to provide more information about like the the main thing is that I've seen a lot of times where they're like oh this is an upstream bug deal deal with that and they don't mm-hmm. tell you how to do that or what they even mean by upstream and you're all right. kinds of stuff so like if we were if they were to, if right. there was a project as a as a collective were to approve approach approve that uh, improve that approach it would be great. Yep. Rob, same question to you. What changes would you like to see for future growth in Linux? Oh, wow. Yeah, as as I heard Rocco, I would agree with the uh, majority of what you said there, Rocco. Uh, but I'll add to it. I would like to see, um, well, let me let me just kind of back up here just a, a sec. Uh, I've got a friend who uh, they, they own a, a small gym and they use a Windows PC in that gym and, and they've had it for four or five years. And he calls me and he says, Hey, Rob, what would you suggest we do with this PC? It's sluggish. My wife hates Windows 10. And I said, I'd put Linux on it. And he says, what's that? (laughs) So here we are, 2018. And here's a guy who's pretty technically savvy who's never heard of Linux. Mm -hmm. And that just hit me. I mean, it was like a ton of bricks. And uh, I thought, you know, wow, I can't believe he has no clue. So spent the time telling him, you know, kind of, in basic terms, what Linux is. And I thought, you know, where are we missing the boat here? What as a community, 
have we done that bad of a job to where this guy who's pretty technically savvy has no idea what Linux is, doesn't know a thing about it. So I think maybe if we collaborate somehow uh, through the community to have one central point, what is Linux and really go back to the basics. And I'm sure there are channels and places where you can go, but people aren't finding it. Yeah. I think it's an interesting thing you bring up because, you know, if you look on YouTube and other things and we, you look at maybe the most well-known Linux personality out there, what do they have? 40, 50,000 subscribers. I think that's the highest I've ever seen. Now, if you go and you look for some of these other tech, mostly Windows-based technology thing, they're two, three million subscribers. Right. 14 million subscribers. We're the highest Linux personality out there is dealing with 40, 50,000, maybe 100,000 at most. And that says something, right? The community, I don't think, does um, – I don't want to say it doesn't do a good job, but somehow, like you said, we need to bring – people from the Linux community into supporting those Linux personalities that have the ability to get the message out. Right. Because if there's a good personality and I'm not going to say who it is, but if there's a great personality out there representing Linux, we know there's millions of Linux users out there, at least hundreds of thousands. So why aren't we seeing that? Because that would help get the message out. Meaning and this is something that we we were talking about earlier about the communication being important in desktop environments and distributions now. And it's something that's no longer one of those things that you kind of do on the side. If you want your desktop or distro to get recognized, you better be communicating today in order to make that happen. And the same thing goes, if you want Linux to be taken seriously, the media aspect, the people who are doing the media for Linux need the support. And that is an area where we're still lacking. I mean, my biggest dream for a YouTuber when I switched from Windows to Linux was that I could get to 40,000 subscribers. I mean, <laughs> not really. Yeah. My, my dream was Linux Tech Tips at 7 million subscribers. So it's, it's kind of a difficult thing to balance there. So to translate that, what Ryan was trying to say is subscribe to DOS Geek. Uh, well, yeah, definitely. <laughs> But probably I'm not the one to be the spokesperson for Linux because I'm too new. But certainly I think people need to be more um, – they need to support the media aspects of Linux better. I think there's, well, there's well, certain aspects of that's true, but there's also a lot there's, – there's, there's a weird uh, dichotomy right now where there's uh, a lot of Linux media that is not really good for Linux. You know, there's a lot of people who are promoting it in a, in a very, like, hardcore – uh, nerd approach way and that kind of makes it where the majority of people don't want that because they're they don't want to have to deal with a system that they have to manage because they just want to use it and be done with it so you have if you, if we have a, a section where some of the linux me- media is a great example of marketing a, 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 a opportunity whereas the other section is uh, like the hardcore style stuff and then we so we have like that the mainstream will see a lot of the hardcore stuff and then automatically associate it to like the the history of Linux where it used to be really difficult. So like yep. there's this weird like it's it's when it because it has built a reputation of being like their nerd system, it has to first battle that. So I think the Linux media is a good point, but we also need to look at the mainstream media and like oh uh, if there was like a marketing effort with Linux in general, like if there could be Bingo. I don't know, like a, a group, a project that a community Absolutely. could just could gather to make a marketing a- approach. And then mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know, like have the companies that are supporting Linux to like help fund that 
and then we could actually do like a marketing push. I think that's really the, the best way to approach the situation because there's a lot of um, a lot of misinformation about Linux and a lot, a lot of confusion about it, and a lot of people don't know about it. But if you go like the, the like the history of marketing with Linux, it's all bad. Like not in the sense of yeah. people, like like not in the sense of people not understanding it. It's just like the marketing efforts were weird and just mm-hmm. made no sense. Like there was one that IBM did like ten years ago, and it was just like a kid watching a TV screen being yelled at by Muhammad Ali, and then. <laughs> Muhammad Ali then shows up and then kind of yells at him a little again. Takes his ice cream, and is and he's and he's he's basically he's saying a message that's good, but he's like doing it in the sense of like the boxer style. And then the kid is just like just I don't even know what the kid's there for. And then at the end of that, it goes Linux. Like, what, Michael? Can we please recreate that with Zeb in a baton? Awesome, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, so Michael, you Michael, you hit something there. So. Um, same train of thought here. How many times do we read where Group X gets, um, you know, donated three hundred thousand dollars, yeah. million dollars? You you always read a story every year. So and so gets X number of dollars. Take some of that money, put it into a fund, uh, collaborate with some of the PC builders who are building machines with Linux in mind. Get together, sit down with someone who has in the past produced an Apple commercial and put something together that's going to give people pause. Mm-hmm. Something where you run an ad that's, I hate mm. to, I, I'm not a fan of Apple, don't get me wrong, but their marketing team knows what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. So get together with somebody like that that's really creative and put together an ad and open up some eyes. Yeah. I mean, that's it's, really the main thing about it because like, if you look at the the way it currently works is like the, the Linux marketing is basically – the companies marketing themselves, like SUSE is making those parodies about mm-hmm. SUSE and right. uh, like Ubuntu makes marketing about Ubuntu and, and like their stuff they're doing on their server stuff. And Red Hat does the same thing. So if like, if there was a, a like some kind of project that uh, agreed that they, we could find some people who do like the creative work and then also like the managing of the, like getting all the people to do the funding and stuff and having those uh, like people like the handshake foundation that are doing those donations, like th- that would be, like I think that would be the best option for getting Linux to get move forward in the mainstream because people would actually understand. Like maybe they wouldn't understand the whole, the whole thing of it, but they would at least have heard of it and heard it in a light that kind of that actually explains what it is rather than just random labels right. and stuff. Right. So that would be really good. Uh, so anyway, so th- uh, thanks for coming to the show. It is, and also thank you for making uh, starting this amazing podcast that we all yes. get to enjoy. And uh, for all the work you do in the community and everything like that, uh, but this is this is a time where we all uh, welcome you to do the thing that I love doing, and that's shameless plugs. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Rocco, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at BigDaddyLinux.com. That will have all the links to um, the YouTube channel and wherever else you need, but. Definitely the one link that I would like to promote is the Biddle community. Great bunch of people in that community who are super helpful. So t.me forward slash Big Daddy Links Live will get you there. Nice. Nice. So Rob, where can people find you? Uh, that would just be YouTube on Linux Quest. And I've got to add to that. I, I just have to say this. Uh, the level you guys have taken the show to is amazing. And, uh, so actually I was telling my wife the other day, I said, you know, I said, uh, 
Rocco and I started out just two guys talking about Linux. We had no idea what we're doing. And today you guys have, and I'm not saying this because, you know, I came up with the name or anything like that, (laughs) but you guys have made Destination Linux the number one Linux podcast out there, period, in my opinion. It's it's the best show going about Linux and you've done a phenomenal job. Just the, the fun you have with it, uh, the information on and on and on. So uh, thank you guys for what you're doing. And, and it's just been great to see it evolve. Well, we're really happy you guys came back on and we want to have you back in the future again. Um, You know, the foundation you both laid for this show, it would not be this show without you. Um, it would never have grown to this level. We could have never brought the talent that we've brought. And I'm not talking about Michael, mostly you're talking about Noah. Um, <laughs> we could not have brought this talent to the show uh, without that foundation. And what I mean is some of the, the things like language that was very important for this show to make sure that anybody of any age could listen to this podcast mm-hmm. without having to worry about covering their kids' ears, things like that, that right. were stances that, um, you know, I know that you and Rob made, but Rocco uh, kept burning that torch when I came on the show. And he's like, look, we're always going to keep it fam- uh, family friendly. Yeah. No exceptions. The openness to the community that was always there. Any skill level, anybody can come and listen to this podcast and enjoy it. And just the casual nature of the way you guys set up the show. It's just people talking about our love for Linux. It doesn't have to be technically perfect. It doesn't have to be. Um, you know, diving into these deep things. Nobody understands. It's just, what are you passionate about? What do you love? Let's talk about it. It's more fun that way. That's what's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. The show is more fun that way. It's more fun to watch. It's more fun to do when it's, when it's laid back and just fun and relaxed and just about passion and Linux and not about getting it right, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you most of all for not naming the show (laughs) (laughs) R&R. And just just one quickie, uh, Rocco. Why didn't you react when we completely mullered your ending for weeks on question, end? Sir. You've gushed, ignore. We're thinking, what have we got to do to get a rise? <laughs> we, we named them absolutely ridiculously. We never got a, we never got a twinkle out of you. Before you answer, Rocco, what we're talking about is if you go back to the episodes right when Rocco uh, yeah. left the show. There is an ending that we do, you know, uh, every single week. And Rocco would do it with finesse and perfection. He never missed a beat. Every word was on point. Everybody have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. So after Rocco left, we made a game out of ruining it every single week. <laughs> and we were waiting for the moment where he's like, guys, what are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I thought it was natural, actually. No, <laughs> <laughs> nah, I mean, look, I mean, I had, uh, you know, I'd stepped away. I, you know, it was, it was your deal. So I let you do whatever you wanted to do. Were you listening going, oh my gosh, listen to these screw ups. Well, well, the journey is just as important as the foundation of the trip. <laughs> That's exactly what That's we were doing. We did, yeah. And then Zeb made this ridiculous one where he's like, he like flips it completely and it's like, it's uh, unpredictably ephemeral. It's like something like that. It's like, okay. <laughs> well, we tried to troll you, Rocco, and it didn't work. Good. Well done, sir. <laughs> It's all good. Never let him see a sweat. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, Ryan, what's first up first in the news? 
Well, funny enough, because Zeb was talking about his love for MX, is MX18 Beta 1 available for download? So our friend Dolphin has been a longtime friend of the show. I've been a longtime promoter, as well as many of you, of MX Linux, because I just think it's amazing. Has a new release available for download, which is the MX18 Beta 1. Uh, MX, if you're not familiar, is a very popular Debian-based distribution. This latest release includes the updated packages for that are pulled from the Debian 9.6 stretch, as well as the Antics and MX repos, updated MX apps. He's got updated MX installer in there, which is super simple to use to begin with, but he's even made it easier. And I thought this was really interesting in here. So a while ago when I was messing with MX17, I think pretty close to when it first released, I was in there trying to play CSGO and Dolphin was online. And when I would open up CSGO, the textures for the characters were all off. Now I could play any non-Valve related game and the textures were all there and fine. Hmm. So I'm talking to Dolphin saying, hey, what's going on? He says, oh, well, you need to include this S3 texture pack after we started investigating it some. And I said, well, why don't you include this in your distro? He's like, well, fine, I will. So here it is, all <laughs> included in the distro now, the S3 texture nice. pack. So for any Valve or Steam game, uh, you'll have those. It's kind of odd that Steam and Valve have that as a separate texture pack, but there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so in any case, it's a very, very cool uh, distribution for you to check out. It's in beta, though. So this is the if you're going to run a beta, make sure you're not trying to use it in a production system or something like that, as there are bugs uh, that are out there, and he lists the bugs that he's aware of on the beta download page. One of them happens to be uh, something going on with NVIDIA right now. I know, shocking. But uh, if you work through those, then, or you're able to work through those, then you'll have a really good time. And then if you want, you could just wait till it becomes a full release. But why am I talking about this when, Zeb, you're using it? Absolutely. Um, MX18 Beta, uh, they also uh, posted the option of being able to, if you really wanted to just dive straight in and not reinstall MX17, he posted up a set of instructions for a dangerous move, but to add the dev repos to MX17. So, you know me, and I've just blown my machine up before, but before all this happened, I went for it. I swapped out all the other repos, put on the dev, did the upgrade, flawless had no nvidia problems whatsoever because by just replacing the dev repos i don't think it went through the whole install uninstall bits and it's something that's come from upstream debian if that's what you call it where it uninstalls all of the nvidia stuff as part of one of the packages and all you then have to do is run the mx installer again but I really do believe it's because I went to MX 18.1 um, that I was able to get my system back up and running without having to uh, do it from complete scratch. So if you've never tried MX 17, the forum is awesome. Um, second, probably only to Pep, not that I'm biased, but they are such yeah. a helpful bunch. Um, and they make Debian easy. That's what I like yeah. about it. If you go pure Debian, it's not hard, but you've got to mess about with all your sudoers files and a few other bits and pieces. MX, install it, run it, forget it. It's a great distribution. Yeah. Yeah, there's Have also given- the, 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 the installer thing. They've been a cool update. So you can now, uh, when you install MX, you can set up encrypted root, home, and swap partitions as well now because that, that is just uh, the Lux uh, system has been added to the MX installer. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. So Noah, have you given MX a try yet? 
No, I, I, it's, it's on my list. I downloaded it, played with it for just a couple of moments. But one of these days, the, I hate doing reviews inside of VMs. I hate yeah. doing reviews if I'm just sitting down with an hour. To me, a review has to be installed on a machine that you use day in, day out for at a minimum a day, probably closer to a week. And yep. I've not gotten to a, to a point. But December is my slow month, so hopefully we're going to get there. And, and I do want to check it out. I do think you would really love this one. So I'm excited to hear that. And I absolutely agree with you. So many times I see reviews on channels and things. They just install it in a VM. It's fine as long as you say that up front. But it's going to give a completely no. different experience just, when you install it on hardware. Just don't call it a review. Yeah, don't call yeah, it a review. You know, here's yeah. the th- and I've been on both sides of this, right? Because I, you know, I've I've been in a situation where you want to get you want to get there first, and so you rush. Even if it's on hardware, you rush to to get to the review so that you can get there first and mm-hmm. have the review out on release day. But what I found is I've gone back and watched reviews I've done, and I don't agree with a single word I said. And I'm, I'm looking <laughs> like. Am I using the same software as I was using back then? Because this does not feel like the same experience, you know? Yeah. And it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and software evolves. And, and when you put it into the real world, that's when you find out what really works. And when I, you know, if I tell people, when I tell people you can use KDE Neon, I can say that because literally one, two, three, four, five, six machines are running KDE Neon. And I know it works because I've been using it for months. All right. You mm-hmm. can't say that. I, so that's where I have to be to, to be able to yeah. really pass it. Yeah. You know, I agree. I, well, really if, you, if you do one of those again, interview yourself with two cameras and two streams <laughs> and then have a chit chat about what was what went wrong and what are you talking about you yeah, did this no, wrong, i understand that you said <laughs> <laughs> would you like to would you like to clarify what your statement from your previous review <laughs> okay well it sounds like it's the uh, beta release season once again because we've now got linux mint 19.1 beta release yeah so linux mint 19.1 tessa is available for download and now has some fresh new features to check out. Um, Linux Mint 19 will be an LTS with updates and fixes until 2023. Um, some of the new features include the Nemo File Manager, which, I'm sorry, Michael, is my favorite and beats Dolphin hands down. Um, and it's three times faster due to code optimizations. All I heard was In- da- the File Manager Dolphin best hands down. That's all I heard. <laughs> <laughs> Select Nemo is better than that's the bit that you missed. Oh, yeah. my bad. And they've got some updates to X apps um, and X Reader and, and a whole host of other things. It's still on the Linux kernel 4.15, but that's not a bad thing because that's the that's the stable LTS version that everyone's used to at the moment. So I've not had a chance to play with it, not even in um, VM, but it's always something I suggest to new users to go and have a look at what you think Linux could be like. Um, you know, and I tell them to go and have a look at MX and go and have a look at Linux Mint and, of course, Peppermint. But I think Mint gives people a good idea of what is achievable within the Linux world. Has anybody else used the beta at the moment? Uh, not the beta, but I've actually uh, – I was checking it out for a little while because I, really, I didn't really test it. I've, like, I've loaded it, but I, I didn't spend more than, like, 15 minutes because it's setting up the show and everything. But um, it is it is, like, one of the best-looking – uh, distros now because of their new theme. Uh, they, they, I mean, it, it, it feels very similar to windows 10, but it's gorgeous, a, but it's a nice, uh, modification to like how that with the, so the people it's familiar, but at the same time, still unique. Uh, mm-hmm. so it's, it's a, it's a nice, it's much better than the previous version. Like the previous cinnamon was good. This one is way better. It's like a more modern Let me ask you. material style. Let me ask you this, Michael, uh, you and I are both fans of, of the Matei project, right? Yeah. So, 
how does, in your opinion, does Linux Mint offer something that the Mate project with, uh, is it not Nick Cupertine, that's the Mac OS one, but whatever their Windows 10, Redmond, their, their Redmond theme, does it really offer something above and beyond? I mean, if you wanted Mate or um, if you, uh, Ubuntu Mate is just the best option. Like, I, I honestly, I don't see a that's, reason yeah. why Mint still has a Mate version. It was like Mint, when when Mint first came out, they had they only had Mate. There was like the only one that did Mate was Mint. So it made sense for them to have a Mint Mate. But there's no, I, as far as like benefits, I guess if you want specific applications that the Mint team make, that's really the only reason you would use it. But if you wanted yeah. just a, like the best all-around Mate option, I would say Ubuntu Mate because of all the customizations that the, the Ubuntu Mate team do and like the interface switcher they built and the, the right. welcome system, like all, all kinds of different, yeah. the, the software boutique, like there's just tons of reasons for Ubuntu Mate. Yeah, I find what Zeb said to be true that when you switch, if you're switching someone to Linux for the first time, in my experience, uh, three individuals come to mind that I've done recently and the mint experience is the one where it just grabs them because there's something about the layout and the format really in the ease of use that make them familiar enough with that windows 10 feel so they don't feel like they're in some foreign environment but and still beautiful as far as looking modern and it doesn't look like you're using something from the past and, you know, still having some customization and abilities in there, but also, like Michael said, some of the software that they write specifically for Mint, their software store and everything else just works really well. So I'm not saying it's the and best option for everyone, but it's a good one. For well, I was just specifying Mint Mate is not like if you want cinnamon, the best option for cinnamon is definitely Mint. Yeah, right. I guess my question is Ubuntu Mate versus cinnamon on Mint. I, I find that what I've always found is I've never found a user that couldn't adapt or, or couldn't easily figure out Ubuntu Mate. And it seems like the Mint project, I'm not sure exactly what the what the focus is. You know, like what, what is it that they offer that Mate don't? Because, you know, Martin Whippers, when he wrote Ubuntu Mate, he specifically designed it for grandma, for mom, for the sister. The average human being that doesn't want to put, as he puts it, magical incantations into the terminal, they just want mm-hmm. to work. Right. And I think Cinnamon Mint, achieves that same sort of goal it's very intuitive very simple to use you click on the start menu you navigate through and you get the things that that you need i think the thing that Marte probably does a little bit better but it's only a one-time use is like your welcome screen and your software boutique makes it a little bit easier to get involved in what to do next how to get it up and running what the things you need to look at and as i say as a one-time software install thing then the boutique is fantastic after that just go to the normal software center yeah pretty much i mean there's you can the software boutique you can they they do update it enough where there's some things added and and removed and stuff like that enough where every Mm -hmm. once in a while still check it out but i do think i agree that um, the, the, there is very, there's a very massive similarity between like, w- like the ease of use for both of them. So mm-hmm. it's not like the, I would say that Ubuntu Mate is better than Mint Mate, but I would say like Mint Cinnamon and Ubuntu Mate are very like neck and neck, very close to each other. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. I, I think Mint, if I recall, I haven't installed both of those in a while, but Mint seems to have more software pre-installed as well for a new user. Cause you think about a new user, they're going to be going out there trying to find things, uh, to install. I don't know if that's still the case, but I know at one point it seemed like Mint came with a lot of the applications installed already for people to go and play with as well. So yeah. that may be a consideration, but I think they're both good options. It's not like you're leading someone right, exactly. down the road wrong because Mate is amazing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, I, mean, I I like I like mint, um, and I like both of them. I think I agree completely with that. So it's it's more of a, uh, I think it's it's I think if you want like the 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 best looking polish thing without with little effort as possible, because with with Ubuntu Mate you actually have to go into the interface switcher and change things up. Um, so that might be you know if you don't that's a little bit extra work to do that, and you might have to do like change some theme customization or whatever. But with like the new mint uh, the beta with a new, with a new theme. It's like just ready to go, just right out of the box. So that's. Awesome. I'm really surprised to hear you talking so well about Mint, Michael, because mm. you've not always been a fan. I'm still not a fan. I'm just saying <laughs> that one they've improved. Uh, they've improved. They've, okay. they've heavily improved. There's things All right. I, you're acknowledging it. That's right. very big of you. I just wanted to say yeah. that there are things that I don't like about Mint. They have addressed some of those things, and then and the theming nice. is one of those things that they they addressed. It it's it's more. It doesn't look. I'm proud like of you. 15 years ago and everything. So it's, it's great. Like I, I applaud them for making improvements to the things that needed it. So mm -hmm. nice. Good, good. While you guys are checking out uh, betas and new versions of things, there's a new audio open source engine that you might want to check out. It's called, I'm going to probably screw this up, Aeon Wave. And it's an interesting open source uh, initiative that um, is specifically for gaming and multimedia. Now, it's a cross-platform engine inspired by Microsoft's X-Audio and Apple's Core Audio. Uh, freeware licensed under GPL2 and GPL3 for 3D and 4D audio engines aimed at professional game simulation, virtual reality, multimedia, and the audio market. Now, they're going to make an exception for commercial uh, retailers that want to bundle or use uh, the, their, this audio package and and not have to worry about the restraints of releasing the code under GPL when they're linking back to the library. Uh, it supports a number of features like sub-mixing in stereo, both 2D or 3D and 4D. Um, also allows you to reposition and reorient registered objects. It can be used for immersion simulation. It supports assigning an unlimited amount of filters. I shouldn't say unlimited, really. It's probably limited by your hardware or what your processor can support. Automatic streaming to and from the internet uh, to audio hardware and positioning in the 3D environment. It contains a full synthesizer, which can be used and configured with just a few lines of XML code. So a very, very cool little project. It'll be interesting to follow and see where it winds up. Um, obviously, audio and video production just growing by leaps and bounds mm. in the Linux world. Um, most, I guess, around the time that OBS came out, it seems like that's when we got a whole bunch of other cool things, you know, Pipewire and all sorts of things that have come to Linux. You know, I saw this article, and some of it makes sense to me from a game programming standpoint about the immersion and the, and mm -hmm. the being able to move the sound around. Um, but I, I kept thinking when it was talking about the unlimited number of filters and effects and sound emitters and being able to stream the audio that I thought the only person who's actually going to be able to figure this out because I was going through that page would be Noah. So is this is this something at some yeah. point that you would you're, you you yourself would look at, or do you think this? Oh, is absolutely. For, yeah. Yeah. The, the the reality is what you are finding is I I have an I have an inter, I come at this for, with an interesting approach, right? Because on one hand I'm an open source Linux guy, and on the other hand I have started to I've started a second career in broadcasting where I'm working with places that are spending three, four, five million dollars on a given place. The, the new company I'm working for, um, you know, they'll budget two and a half million dollars to be, build a single studio. Wow. And uh, they don't care. They don't have any allegiance towards Linux and open source, right? Right. But what you find is all of this equipment actually runs Linux. And the reason that it runs Linux is because Linux is the only kernel that is fast enough 
to actually keep up with what you need in real-time audio processing demands. And I don't care what Microsoft says. I don't care what Apple says. I don't care who's making more money. The reality is when you look at the people that have an un essentially an unlimited budget, those people are choosing Linux. And uh, there's all sorts of really cool projects that are, that are doing audio processing, and they're all running on Linux. So it doesn't come as any surprise to me as I watch that happen in the professional sphere that in the open source sphere, people have looked and said, hey, we can leverage those that same technology that people are making a bunch of money off and selling. We can leverage that exact same technology, licenses at an open source project, and start approaching places like, like Valve and say, hey, you want an audio engine? Hey, uh, Dolby, you want an audio engine where we can go ahead and create these environments? Hey, do you want to, uh, Facebook, do you want to have the Oculus and you want to have a, an audio engine that will calculate and do all of this stuff? Because we can do it better on Linux than we can do it on macOS or Windows. And that's why you're seeing a lot of these projects come out. And so it's, it, it completely follows a paradigm I've seen. The, the only thing I find a little misleading is, uh, you know, from their site, it says unlimited amount of effects. Well, it may not be limited in software. Obviously, your processor, obviously, the the um, you know the how much memory you have and all of that is going to mm. is going to matter how much audio you can process inside of a computer. But I believe there's no uh, artificially placed software limit. Nice. So yeah, I thought when I was looking at it, the the one of the features it had was the studio effect mixing, and I thought, okay, Noah may benefit from that, and then some of the synthesizer mm -hmm. options that they have in there. But it looks like a pretty cool tool, and like you, I'm excited anytime I see new audio elements right. coming to. Linux, because that was an yep. area that personally I felt Linux was weak in for a long time and still, yes. yep. but I, I think that's changing quickly and we're starting to see these folks come in. So I think they've been around a little while, but they're starting to gain steam and start to rebuild this project up to something. And, and I hope it yep. turns into something good. It's not meant to be a replacement for Pulse Audio or anything like that. This is more of right. that professional application. Engine. Yeah. yeah, and it's interesting. So, and we'll see where all of this goes. But uh, a good friend of mine, Fred Gleason, and we interviewed him on on my on my weekly show, the Ask Noah Show. Um, and one of the things that Fred talked about is the ability to do audio mixing inside of Linux. And so he's actually got me on that train for a long time. I was just kind of against doing stuff inside of software, and he has flipped my opinion on that 180 degrees. Mostly by starting with saying, "Hey, listen, you, know, you ever heard of iHeartRadio and Cumulus?" Guess what those guys are doing? And so, uh, and he showed me how to set up uh, some some uh, some backend Linux stuff to do all of our mixing. So now all of our audio is getting mixed inside of a computer, which is just it blows my mind that this stuff is possible and mm -hmm. has been possible for a long time. And I just wasn't aware of it. It's working on Linux. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep. And also, just to be clear, some people are gonna might, might have a, a comment about the whole licensing structure. Uh, I think this is a great way of being open source, but at the same time, not making enterprise companies or big corporations to avoid you because of the open source aspects. Because, like some of the light, like GPL is in some ways is right. makes some makes some companies run because of the whole requirement thing. So this so, is a good way of doing it, but and it's also this very similar to the way the the way the Cute project does it. So let me ask you this, Michael, because I, I was I was just going to drive by it, but if you're going to bring it up, do you think that this fundamentally uh, restricts the growth. So let me explain what I mean. So anytime you have a proprietary project, they obviously get a leap because everybody else has to reinvent the wheel from the ground up because they're not allowed to infringe on somebody's copyright. Whereas with open source, you can do years and years and years of work and then you can stop and somebody can just pick up from where you are left off and then, and then carry on. And if you don't have that requirement to contribute code back to the project, now what you essentially have is we could work for five years and somebody could just take that and take a left-hand turn. Well, I mean, slap. technically, GPL doesn't require you to contribute back at all. 
Like you can take right, the code right. and never even release, never actually pu- publish it in like a full thing and just use it. And you don't have to, you're not required to do anything. You can also but take the code. you are required to publish the code though. You're required no, to give that to the user. If you but- don't publish it as a software and you do it in-house, you don't have to do anything. But if you take it and redistribute it into something else, then you have to put the code out. But if you put the code out right. on the, on your website in some obscure random place, technically it counts towards the GPL compliance. Even if so people you're saying can't find practically it. speaking, it doesn't make a difference. Right. I mean, there's, there's some there's ways around it so the GPL can block it. But the thing is, it it if you if you have a if you have a library that's built into GPL, that means anything that uses it, even like with a, a, another higher layer that also has it, it'll require every layer to re, to have GPL licensing or something that's compatible. And that takes some makes some companies, especially enterprise companies, look you know, sideways because they don't want to have the, they don't want to have to have the, the worry of going in and saying, do, are all the things we have here compliant to this license? It's, it's more, sure. it's not necessarily more a proprietary thing. It's, it could be just an issue of, they don't want to have to, um, Legal. deal with, deal with all the, the headaches yeah. of, of making sure everything is compliant. So there, there are ways. I can get on board with that, I guess. Yeah. And the way that Qt does it is they release it as GPL in very, they have like five or six different licenses. So a company can choose which one they want, but every license they have is open. It's just, they also have an extra thing where if they want to use like MIT, which would then give them the ability to not require the compliance structure that because MIT and BSD don't require the GPL open source aspects. They just, you know, do whatever you want type basically. And so those works. So your fear, Noah, is that this could become a kind of a standard, right? Where we're kind of open source, but if you want to, you can buy it and now you don't have to follow the rules. My, I guess my concern is that people will begin to utilize open source, take, take it for what they can benefit off of and then hide uh, any way to, to give any credit or to acknowledge where that code came from so that other people can continue to innovate. I guess that's what I worry mm. about. It just, it seems like we, it seems like as open source people, we're constantly having to fight with one hand tied behind our back. That's what it feels yeah. like. Yeah. I mean, and I might be, there are ways that, I mean, yeah. I agree. There's, there's, there's really, there's, there's a negative and a pro to, to the GPL. Using the GPL has, has issues either way. Uh, there's, there's also essentially if you are a company and you take GPL code, you and you're okay if you're a malicious company or a nefarious company you could actually take code from a project then rename that project change nothing of the code still give the source open and then have a different right. brand on it and sell it and you didn't do anything right. you're still compliant mm-hmm. with the GPL yeah so sure. so there's there's many there's many ways to be negative even with it it's just i think that in certain cases, as long as they are making the like the actual project itself, like this audio engine is totally open source and they're doing GPL structure, they're just also doing mm-hmm. a separate licensing for companies who want to pay the extra fee to do it. So I think that right. that's okay because you'll still the pro, the main engine is still open, and if yeah. there is an issue, it could still be forked at some point. So I yeah, think that's fair. Yeah, as well. I think as long as there's if as long as they're taking consideration of both and not just doing proprietary, I think it'll work. Would work fine. <laughs> but stuff. so another uh topic we as an open open source topic we found out that's coming out today recently is an open source rss reader called raven and i am a huge fan of rss feeds and feed readers and things like that uh raven yep. is an interesting application it looks like it has a ton of potential and it it still needs a little bit of work but for the most part it does have a ton of potential, and and some people might not like the fact that it's based on Electron, 
But overall, I think it's it, it has it has that potential that could be a popular solution to replace whatever you're using right now. And some people might not be using anything. And for those people, it would be a good option to check out. Yeah. So can can you help me here with this whole like I don't like Electron thing? Because I, I see it in the community every once in a while. And I'm just curious, is it just because the size of the Electron apps or is yes. there some that's it? It's the size of how much they take on your drive and how much they use in the RAM. Okay, Basically. so here's what we're going to do. Because they're based now on Chrome. Chromium. Right. Here's, we're going to fight. Because... Gonna fight. Well, here, so here's the... I, I hear that all the time. Yeah, me and too. The prop, and the problem that I have with it is the, the people that say that uh, fundamentally, apparently, have no actual interest in Linux succeeding on the desktop. Because when you take a hard stance against Electron, you're saying that you don't want... You don't want wide adoption of applications on Linux because that's the only way we get there at this point. And if you say you don't want wide adoption of applications on Linux, then you fundamentally have to acknowledge that you're never going to have wide adoption from user base on Linux, okay? To a certain degree, it's the chicken or the egg. You get the users that will say, I'm not coming to Linux because you don't have apps. And then you get developers that say, well, we're not making apps on Linux because we don't have enough user base. The thing that Electron does is it fundamentally allows these software manufacturers to write one code base Adobe can write Adobe Photoshop one time, and that code will run on Windows, on Mac, on Linux, on Chrome, all of the places, okay? And so there is a huge, huge, huge drive for a company like Adobe if they're going to rewrite a piece of software to, run it from the, to write it from the ground up to do that in Electron. There's a huge incentive for companies that are going forward when they're writing a, an application like Slack that they're going to write it in Electron or Skype, they're going to write it in Electron. And so when you come when you come at me with, hey, uh, yeah, this Electron's too heavy and it's too blooded, and so I don't really like it, and I wish they'd write a native Linux app, that is never, ever, ever going to happen with some of these major companies. So if you want those applications on Linux, you have to accept they're going to be delivered as an Electron app. Now, wait, it gets better. If we can take Electron and we can package that with a Snap package, which, by the way, runs on Windows, will run on Mac, and already runs on Linux, now you're going to reach a point where applications are going to go, huh, I can write an application in Electron. I can issue a single command and it becomes a snap package available in the snap store. And now every operating system can take the latest version and we don't have to maintain diddly squat. That's a really great place to be. And if Electron gets us there, I'm all for it. So yeah. let me get this straight. You like Electron. Well, you know, I've gone back and <laughs> forth a little bit, but at the end of the day, yes, I like Electron. No, I, I feel the same way. And I, I don't know if, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, especially when I joined Linux community, there most of the videos and stuff I was seeing, I've talked about this, where, hey, you can run Linux on this older hardware. So I don't know if a lot of the people who don't like Electron, maybe those same individuals who are using older hardware, so that it matters to them if the RAM usage on that app is 5% higher. But for everyone else, and like you said, for the mass adoption of Linux, um, you know, do I want every app to be an Electron app? I don't know that I wouldn't with my hardware, but maybe not. But certainly, like you said, this opens up a lot of room for other software companies. Like there was a big push this week on Reddit for Adobe, which I heard Adobe shut down, by the way, when they were trying to do a big newsletter and things to get people to uh, get yeah. Adobe on Linux. They apparently have no interest in us we, at all th this is this, every every two or three years there's this big push to adobe like hey we'll pay you the money just make the thing and they're like no yeah they they just they don't like us man i don't know what well, it no, is with adobe. I, I, here's the thing i would argue that a part of it for adobe is when people say we'll pay you it's they don't have any clue i mean look at the code base for something like photoshop alone never mind premiere would be hundreds of thousands of lines if not millions of lines of code 
the idea that you're going to pay a developer, I mean, it's going to cost tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to go back and rewrite that code base to, to port it to Linux. I, I'm not sure that's, that's a financially feasible option. And to think that uh, a bunch of people, we have a hard time getting people to pay a dollar to download elementary OS. And you think these people mm -hmm. are going to go and fundamentally uh, fund uh, Adobe's efforts to make a proprietary well, application? Are this, you kidding me? This issue has actually been a long time. Like, and I know that Adobe, I didn't even bother signing up for this, the thing that the Adobe is going to kill anyway, because, um, 10 years ago, I participated in trying to get the, the first time this happened, uh, actually probably like 15 years ago now. I don't know. Uh, but essentially every three, two to three years, this big push happens and Adobe just shuts it down and they don't care. And they have no, they have, they, they consider themselves to have no incentive to care. And until snaps, flat packs or app images existed, there wasn't really a legitimate like business decision, like why they would want to do it. Now they have more likelihood, but we still have to get them to be more like interested. Do we need Adobe? Pro I don't know why. After playing with Lightworks, Noah, by the way, which I know is another proprietary solution, but I'm like, I, I don't need to touch Adobe Premiere that I was using back in the Windows days to do my video. I don't need to touch it again. What is the need for Adobe product? What is the love for the, it? They're not the, that great. They're really not the, that great. The answer that I've arrived at after putting a lot of thought into this is whatever product you use first, right? I've got a good friend of mine. He really, really likes Final Cut Pro. Swears by it. It's the best audio video editor in the entire world. You ask him, well, have you, have you ever used any other? Yeah, I've tried it a couple of times. No, but have you ever actually like used it? Like dug in and used it for like months on end or a year on end to, so, that you, so that everything becomes a function of like secondhand memory? No. Okay, cool. And then you go and ask the people that are committed to Premiere. Well, have you ever used anything else? Not really. And then you ask people like me who like Lightworks. Have you ever used anything else? No, not really. So we just, we, I think you just get comfortable with the tool that you're, that you're in. And so you and me, Ryan, we're going to be Lightworks proponents because that's what we know. And the reality is that Lightworks is just as capable of an editor as Final Cut Pro or Premiere is. We've just taken the time to learn Lightworks because it runs on Linux. So yeah. there's, mm -hmm. you, have, you have a very good point, And I agree completely in the terms of video editors. There are a ton of options. There are a ton of great options. And there are many of them that work on Linux. That is not true for every Adobe product. And sure. so that's all I'm saying. Like, uh, what, what's the Adobe product you're talking about, Michael? Illustrator is the best option for vector, vector graphics. Inkscape is amazing. It is fantastic. The fact that it's open source is astonishing. But it's still not as good as, 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 as Illustrator. But I will say what? that Inkscape is... There's a traitor amongst the listen, boys. Get listen, <laughs> listen. Inkscape is still awesome. And to be fair... I'm not talking about most people don't need Adobe products. 99% of people do not need Adobe products. Professionals mm -hmm. need these products because they have certain workflows that are way better. So if, if you like Illustrator and Inkscape, you have about, it's probably like 30% better. Photoshop and GIMP, it's about a thousand percent better because there's this one feature that Photoshop has that GIMP does not. And it's called non-destructive editing. In GIMP, when you make a change, that change is final forever. You have to make multiple layers, and every step makes a whole new layer and a whole new step. You got to go back and forth. With in Photoshop, it's all math, so every change you do is manipulated any time at any point, and uh, you just change the slider, and everything you did afterwards is automatically updated too. But that's why it can be undone. Is yeah, you can also you can move yeah. if you make you can change things without hurting other things. Whereas in GIMP, it just, it's destructive and it messes it up. So in mm -hmm. that particular case, Photoshop is better. So in the, <laughs> there are there are like I would say still most people don't need 
to use Photoshop, almost everyone would be fat, would be happy with GIMP. But to get back to RSS feeds, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I had a question. Poor Raven. The Raven team was like, "Yeah, they're going to talk about us," and then we talk about them nothing at all. So let, let's talk about Raven, right? So, <laughs> what's your question, Zeb? Well, I think I heard in in that sort of argument there that these um, electron apps are too large. Well, I've just downloaded Raven and it came down as an app image and it's like 80 meg. What's, oh, hang on, it's 62 meg. Well, you only have a 100 meg hard drive. How are you going to put that? Okay, the Electron thing is, Electron is heavier than native applications by a lot, by a factor of 10 usually. Now, that doesn't mean that it's heavy and not usable. It just means that it's heavier than the other methods. But I still- You're taking a look at Flatpak lately? Discord, 1.6 gig. Are you serious? That's very different. Flatpak has its own issues. <laughs> um, but Electron, I, I, to be clear about the previous thing that Noah you know, talked about, the Electron thing, I am not saying that I have a problem with Electron. I was just pointing out that some people do. Um, but I do think Electron is fantastic. I use, I use Electron multiple applications every day. Uh, it's, it's nice. There are some issues that have nothing to do with the hysteria that people hate on Electron for. Uh, but there is one that's uh, kind of concerning, and that's, um, well, Electron is created and controlled by GitHub, which is created and is now controlled by Microsoft. <laughs> Come on. Who cares? I'm just saying that there's a there's a potential concern there, but... None. If you had said uh, Google, there, yeah. There, okay. If you say Microsoft, no problem. No problem. We have different yeah. opinions on that one. Yeah. Microsoft <laughs> is our friend. So yeah, RSS feeds... Going back to Raven, Michael, what were the things that you really, 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 really liked about it? I really like the fact that it's easy to use. Like if you've never used RSS, it is to get started with with Raven. It is fantastic because you just take you can uh, you can basically just take the URLs, click subscribe, and it will jump into it and it'll start doing it. And you can also do like um, uh, there's some filtering options and stuff like that. Uh, the, like the the main thing is that it'll it's it's just a nicely organized. Um, RSS reader. And if you've never used yeah. RSS, it is a good option for uh, to be like the first try. Um, I use RSS for, I have no idea, over a decade. So I have like very specific features that I want that it doesn't have. But overall, it works great. So if you're, if you're, if you're yeah, brand well, new, I definitely never, check it out. I never used an RSS reader until I started doing this podcast. And then it became mandatory to have mm-hmm. one I never mm-hmm. saw the value in it. I didn't understand you know, why anybody would use them. And now I can't live without one. So funny story, Ryan. I wasn't going to admit to this on air, but since you admitted your ignorance, I'll admit mine <laughs> so you don't feel alone. Thank you. Thank you. You were setting up the Ask Noah show. Everybody kept talking about the RSS feed, the RSS feed, the RSS feed. Now, mind you, up until this point, my job in podcasting was to show up, stand in front of a camera, act you know, say something or provide some sort of meaningful commentary for a couple of hours and then go home. And as far as I knew, Magic Angels released the podcast. I don't know how that stuff happens, right? <laughs> Follow my big grade. Somebody else dealt with that. So I'm going to set this up. Nobody explained to me that the RSS feed is like the main way that like everything coordinates. As far as yeah. I knew, we uploaded it to the various places. I didn't realize it was all one central place. So nobody explained this to me. Nobody. All they said was, here's the login for the RSS thing. Here you go. I'm like, cool. So log in and I haphazardly, haphazardly filled it out. And finally, I got my butt chewed. They're like, listen, do you understand what you put in here goes out to every 
no, I wasn't aware of that. Like, nobody explained that to me. And they're like, how dumb are you? I'm like, well, pretty dumb. <laughs> 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 like, it just, it's one of those things that, like, if you haven't used RSS before, then you don't understand the power. And once you, I, I would suggest going setting one up, like, from scratch, set up an RSS mm-hmm. server, because once that clicks in your brain, you will find all sorts of crazy things that you can do that are so cool with RSS. Okay, you've, way, you've way made it. A- was ever intended. Yeah, you've made a good point, and I would like to now uh, specify to some people that if, if you might not know what we're talking about when it comes to RSS, it means really simple syndication. And RSS is right. a really great way to to consume news or information from websites. So, like, the old way is, like, the best description I've ever seen was they were like, if the old way of going to getting news from a site is to go to a site, check to see if there's anything new. Nope. Okay. Go to another site, check to see if there's anything new. Nope. You just wasted a couple seconds. Not a lot, but it's still a lot of time if you combine it all together for how many times you do it. Now, the mm-hmm. other the, the, the RSS feed is the reverse. You take a feed from a website, put it into your RSS reader, then you go to that one RSS reader uh, application or website, and then anytime something new comes, it goes right into your reader, and you only go to one place. So it's basically right. it's, it's, an in, it's an email inbox for the web in general. So in in almost every website, not every one of them, but almost every website has an RSS feed. And there are some services where you can turn websites that don't have RSS feeds into creating RSS feeds. So you can essentially make the web just bring content to you. Like and even yeah. YouTube has RSS feeds and stuff. Like it's it's great. So, yeah, so, and by the way, Destination Linux has an RSS feed. So yes, when you go and do. set one up, you can set one up on Destination Linux. You should totally uh, do that. But, but the great thing about these also is you talked about the news section. So we talked about for a podcast, but for instance, even outside of a podcast, you could use this, but I use this to grab articles for each episode that we write each week. So it goes through, it pulls out thousands of websites to look for anything Linux related. That comes into a single page for me. I can favorite them and choose them and pick what stories go into each episode through that versus having to visit thousands of sites and hoping to find something. So extremely, extremely useful. There are plugins for your browser like FeedBurner and things like that that you could do Mm -hmm. as an RSS reader or you could download a native application if you like that and have a little more control. Uh, Raven's one of those ones to check out that's kind of new and has some new features and things. So if you're looking for something kind of fresh and new, Go check it out. There's also a lot of great readers out there, Life Era, Feed Reader, RSS Owl that have been out there for a while to check out as well. Yeah, those are good ones. But one of my favorite things that I've set up this year is NextCloud Server. That was one of my favorite projects that I have worked on, and it was so simple to get set up thanks to the Snap that's available for NextCloud now, speaking of those application uh, styles. Uh, So a really fun project. If you're on DigitalOcean, you could get a $5 droplet, go through, drop the Snap in for your NextCloud, get that set up, and you're going to have your own essentially like Dropbox server set up where you could host your files, you can share text files with individuals. You can put your pictures and things, except you host it, you secure it, you own it versus somebody made it metadata grabbing and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Very, 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 very powerful. The good news here, and I'm very interested to see how this plays out. Unfortunately, the current snap that I had was, I think, version 13.07 or something like that. This is only available on NextCloud 15. Um, so I'm not sure if I go to the edge version of the snap or not, if I would get the 15, Michael, I don't know if you know, 
Um, uh, the Edge will probably have the 15th. Uh, they, yeah. they usually take the, the NextCloud team takes a little bit longer to do that because they want to make sure the stable version is like the best one. Right. So you got to be on the NextCloud 15 for this, but they are now diving into the social realm. So we're talking about owning your own data, about bringing it back. We've definitely this year, I've talked a lot about my uh, anger towards Google and other groups that are out there just metadata grabbing Facebook, those type of things out there. So taking back control of your data, NextCloud helps you do that with your cloud services, but now they're going to do that with your social aspects as well. So basically, they are setting up a social service in here where they're going to become part of the social federated networks. You'll be able to find your friends on your next cloud. So it'll sync in with Mastodon, Friendica, Diaspora, Media Goblin, and all these other social services. Uh, no need to fill out profiles. It could basically, you could use your next cloud information that you choose to, to share to fill out any of the profiles and any of your social media. Everything you post stays on your NextCloud server itself, and you could choose what you want to share uh, then with your inner circle. So the way I'm picturing it, and I haven't been able to play with it yet, is you'll have your NextCloud social hub in there. Me and Noah have NextCloud servers, so we can sync up with each other, and that will be our social interaction. If we want to bring something into it, like Noah says something really funny, I want to share it with Mastodon, I could share it from there into Mastodon. I could also see a lot of applications for commercial businesses where you're not going to want to have your, you want your team to socialize and interact with each other, but you're not going to want to do that on a big platform like a Facebook or something else where, again, all that metadata grabbing and things is happening. You could own that server and be able to share your profiles, information, have your employees talking to each other all right there in NextCloud uh, using completely open standards in there. So I was really excited about this. What do you guys think? Here's my thought. My thought is, what is this accomplishing, or how do we view this in a world where we have Mastodon that has massive success, and at least by open source social media standards, and Diaspora, which, I mean, what, are we going on eight years, and, and I, I, there's still no major adoption of it? I mean, how, how, how does this, is this not just another player in an already over, uh, over densely populated area that has not had a lot of major adoption? This is why... I am excited for the fact that they that they, they announced it. When I first heard they announced it, I was like, great, another social media thing. But <laughs> they said it's being it's using ActivityPub, which is great because ActivityPub is the same thing that powers Mastodon. It's the same thing that powers uh, Diaspora. So you can connect, you can, the people can use whatever they want and connect to each other. And sh like, so for example, you could be a Mastodon user and follow mm -hmm. someone's NextCloud instance so that they can post on their NextCloud. And as a Mastodon user, you st it'll it appear to you as a Mastodon status. Uh, so it, it, it works great. It also, uh, for people who are not aware, has uh, full, well, I don't know if they, I don't know if NextCloud has it, but potentially it does because ActivityPub is also what powers PeerTube. So you could actually upload videos to, theoretically to your NextCloud and then automatically put those onto a PeerTube instance. That That is fantastic. So there's a ton of potential that this could be like awesome. Think about this as a centralizing hub, Noah. So you're right. You've got a billion mm -hmm. social networks out there. And if you're signed up to all of them, you're sharing all your information probably with all of them. Um, mm -hmm. But you have no central place. Like even to every time we do the show, we want to post to the social networks. That takes right. a lot of time. You got to go to each one individually and post Absolutely. your post there. 
think about this as centralizing a lot of those. So now you could do one post to your next cloud and say, hey, I want to send it to Mastodon, Friendica, Diaspora, you know, Media Goblin, and all of these at once. And you right. could share it there, but you still own all of your information. And the way it sounded to me is like you could sign in with your profile. You know how on Google you go to certain services or Facebook, it'll say sign in with your Facebook account, mm-hmm. sign in with your Google account. So it can get your profile information. Based on while they're explaining the profile stuff here, you would have that in Nextcloud. So you could say, hey, fill out my profile information for me. This is what I want myself to be named. The information I'm willing to share, anything else is a no-go. And you've got a lot more control over that versus using a Facebook or Google profile, which we've seen endless news articles about. They were only supposed to share this, but actually shared right. all of this. Or with Google Plus, <laughs> yeah. they were only supposed to share this. Oh, we're going to kill it because we accidentally shared this. But we're going to kill it sooner because we accidentally shared this too. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but I think that... Yeah, that we the, messed the, it up so good, we messed it up twice. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> but the profile thing is actually not uh, not is not really what's like what I'm interested in because of the whole like I think there's gonna be a lot of uh, networks that will like prefer to have you on your on their instance, but you can still interconnect. Like the interconnection thing is like they, they I, you mentioned the having a hub where they could send it out. That would be amazing because yeah. Diaspora does not have any method of doing like scheduled message or t- scheduled uh, statuses. It doesn't have a system of like automatically posting or anything. So if I could have something like that, I would use Diaspora way more. So like anything that, that makes it harder to use and yet another network makes me not want to use it. That's kind of why not Diaspora hasn't really taken off because they kind of make it difficult to get used to, to get like to find what pod to use and all this other stuff. Whereas if Nextcloud can Have you ever tried to set Diaspora up? Yeah, it's kind of okay. cumbersome. Because if you don't understand, <laughs> if you don't understand why diaspora never got a lot of uh, adoption, go try and set, uh, set a note up, and then come back and tell me, and you'll understand perfectly why diaspora <laughs> yeah. didn't get a lot of adoption. It's, mm. it, there's actually only one instance that I know of that's even worth trying, and it's it's diasp.org. <laughs> so, try, well, say, look, do yourself a favor this holiday and set up a next cloud server. You'll be thankful you did because it's awesome, and this is just another awesome thing that they're adding onto it. I think great stuff. So um, this is another one of those articles where it's fairly obvious who's in charge and who's dishing out whose name in front of what, um, because here we are with um, Ryan trying to get me to go Team Red again. But we have some really exciting news for those of you who are behind the AMD thrust that's going on in Linux at the moment, because the Vega 2 is coming. Yeah. Um, and it's not that AMD have announced it, but it's that those people in the know probably have all these RSS feeds coming into their computers. And they've spotted that Vega have actually filed some trademarks for Vega 2 logos. So excited. So, so that's, a, that's a big hint that the um, anticipated seven, is that nanometers? Yes, that, that is nanometers. Really, 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 really small. That is um, seven nanometer, but really, 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 really small works too. Yeah, good. Um, and they're expected to show a massive gain in the AMD's GPU lineup. And again, those people who keep the eye on things have noticed some strange um, additions going into the, uh, to the Linux kernel. Uh, and, and they're all anticipating and hoping that these are some of the new drivers and things behind um, this new... AMD GPU. So are they aiming to become top of the pile again, Ryan? Do they hope to knock the RX 2080 or the 1080 off 
Uh, you know, I, I think they have the ability and the momentum to do that for the first time. I mean, we've, we've talked about this before. Number one, I'm just excited. AMD is not only in the game, they're in some ways, especially in my opinion, in the CPU market, winning in, in some aspects of the game, which I would not have said years ago before the Ryzen move, right? Intel was pretty much the only thing most people would run, period, outside of very specific applications. Uh, that has changed. I am thrilled with my Ryzen 7 2700X. Uh, I think it's an amazing CPU. The Vega 64 that I have, uh, I had the 56 and the 64. It's a great GPU. Is it better than the, we, we know by all the specs that it's not better than the new 2080s and things like that out there. So we need a good player here. Now, the thing is, the 7 nanometer, we know AMD's capable of it because they recently announced their enterprise server capabilities running on the 7 nanometer mm -hmm. technology here. So this is a whole new way of basically, in, in a very short and simple way of explaining it, of getting data moving through faster across the transistors. So having the 7 nanometer uh, available for a commercial card is going to be a huge jump. It's going to allow them to hopefully be able to produce cards that are not going to get as hot. They're going to be able to move information faster. And we're going to see if there is some, if they're going to be able to beat NVIDIA out here completely. If they don't beat NVIDIA, I would be shocked with these new cards just because mm -hmm. AMD's momentum they have. Certainly, they're going to be a true competitor to them with this against the new 2080 line. And since they're coming out later, we really, really hope they would beat out the 2080. So time will tell. We will see. But I am ridiculously excited to get my hands on a Vega 2. You know I'll be the first one of the first ones ordering this card. I am saving up now. I'm saving up my Christmas money. Every donation that I get is going to in a pile to wait for this Vega 2 to come out because I want to be the first <laughs> to stick it in my computer. Nice. Yep. But also, AMD is, is going to be doing a lot. Like They are already making a lot of big moves. And I, I think they have at least the best name for any of their products, Threadripper. Yeah. So. <laughs> and, uh, you know, anything that provides competition to Intel is always a good thing, right? And NVIDIA. Yep, exactly. Yep. Hey, you know what? Uh, I got a shirt, and the shirt made by Tux Digital says that Linux is everywhere. Turns out that includes Mars. Yeah. Recently, <laughs> recently wow. we watched the Mars Insight lander sat down on the Martian surface. Its Mars mission was to study the inner space of Mars itself, including the crust, mantle, and core. Guess what? That device, the Linux-driven Oviro Iron Stormy module, uh, sorry if I'm mispronouncing any of this, all of those things are powered by Linux. So this may be the furthest Linux has actually ever uh, ever traveled uh, in in Linux in Linux powered equipment. Of course, this isn't the first time that Linux has been used in space. The International Space Station has adopted Debian Linux, and some say they spotted terminals in the live feeds on the Mars mission itself. They also, mm -hmm. I believe, for a period of time, were using Red Hat on some ThinkPads. They uh, they uh, phased out from um, I believe it was XP. They went from XP to Red Hat on the, the ISS. They, actually, There's the Mars the Mars mission was actually using Red Hat with KDE. Were they? And uh, the the logging station for the International Space Station for the ham radio part, I believe, also runs on top of Linux. Yeah. So yeah, we got Linux all over space. You know why? Because in space you can't hang it. You can't have a blue screen or the <laughs> colorful pinwheel of death. <laughs> exactly. Funny story. My work computer this week did that very thing. I was in the middle of a very important call and got that blue screen of death, and I'm like, 
man, I wish we would switch to Linux where I work because it's just amazing that it happens at the worst time possible. (laughs) It's it's like they it's like they time it. It's like, are they doing something important? That's what the telemetry is for. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I get it now. So so uh, next in the show is it's an interesting interview that was conducted by Swapnobartia with uh, Linus Torvalds. And on the TFIR channel, I don't remember what that stands for, but uh, Swabno had an interview. It, it's the, the video was posted recently, but the interview looked like it was made a, like a couple months ago or so at one of the conferences um, or the one of the summits. And it was a really interesting conversation they had about Chromebooks. And Linus was talking about like what like basically the question was with Chromebooks, does the desktop still matter uh, in, in general and into the in Linux and into to Linux and to Linux as, as a whole. And uh, I think that the, his his response was basically like uh, he's he has this like I have the same desire that he does because he was like when he a long time ago he had, like when someone said when do, when do you think that Linux would win like what wh- what point it, like it's running servers it's running the internet it's running like it's on Android phones and everywhere what what point do you think you will be safe to say that Linux has won and he said whenever we dominate the desktop so. I and I agree with that. That's what that that is the ultimate goal because it's basically everywhere else dominant, and mm. including Mars. So we should like if we can get the desktop, then we got yeah. we got everything. So I think that this is a great point. And uh, he said it's it's still important. Like a lot of people are not not necessarily uh, focused on that because they use like mobile devices and stuff like that now. But I still think that the desktop is very important. And I think that uh, even better than before that Linux has a huge opportunity and potential to take over, especially with like all the, the movings with like IBM buying, buying uh, red hat. That's that, that the, the mainstream attention that got was fantastic for Linux overall. I would argue now is a better time than ever before in history for Linux to take over on the desktop because there's a void in the marketplace, right? Microsoft is no longer putting the amount of effort they were in the in the Windows desktop. And Apple very much for years hasn't really been putting the effort that they have into the Mac desktop. They're putting it all into iOS. Mm-hmm. So who is left that's really concentrating on the traditional desktop ecosystem? Now we can debate all day long. We can have the discussion on if the if a desktop computing experience is still the most relevant computing experience to a user, we can have that discussion. But at the end of the day, what we're left with is that there is no other major player in the game uh, working very hard for, for the desktop environment other than Linux. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting in this interview because uh, he meant they were talking about the Chromebook and it taking over. In fact, Chromebook's doing a very smart move and that they're getting into the schools. In fact, mm-hmm. on the new school, my son transferred to's list of devices he should have was a Chromebook, not a little laptop, nothing else specifically, a Chromebook. I found that very interesting. I saw the same thing during Black Friday. People were stalking out those Chromebooks, probably a lot because of price, but I also saw a lot of school lists. Parents were trying to get them for the school list. So they're taking, they're getting the kids at a very young age to get addicted or adapted to this Chromebook OS. Um, I have my own issues with Chrome OS and those type of things, but at least at the bottom line, it it does have, yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) It does have a kernel behind the scenes. But the question that was posed to Linus was whether the desktop is dead. 
And he said, no, he still thinks the desktop matters. And I agree with him. Apple's trying to make the move to say the desktop's dead and they're pushing their iPads and things as replacements. We've seen all the reviews that the new iPad Pros and things make a really crappy laptop replacement, we find out, in fact. So I don't think the devices are quite there yet, but we're seeing a lot of moves towards that. A lot of the industries are going there. But he did say that he wishes if Linux to really make an impact in the desktop market, that there was a standardized desktop to go across all distributions. He mentions it's not a a kernel issue, so he's just talking Mm -hmm. about his personal opinion that it's an annoyance to him how fragmented the vendors are, which is what has held the desktop back. And he mentioned progress with flat packs and others, so he's saying, hey, there's progress here, but it's just a personal annoyance. So I thought... What a great question to ask you guys is, does Linux need a standard desktop environment? Some would argue we already have it, and it's called GNOME. It's called Plasma. (laughs) Would that stop fragmentation, or is fragmentation here even a bad thing? Is this something that needs to stop? I I don't think it can ever stop, because you've got too many people out there passionate about Linux and the way they want it. Um, and the whole reason I think the fragmentation is there is because somebody thinks it should be done the plasma way. Somebody else thinks it should be done the gnome way. Somebody else thinks it should be done the cinnamon way. And if you ever got those people to try and collaborate on one desktop environment, it would end up just with a war and a melee and you'd never get any development because <laughs> I think there'd be too much internal infighting as they have their own thoughts on the way the desktop should develop. So I can understand exactly where he's coming from because it can be frustrating for a new user to come here and do I run GNOME, do I run Mate, do I run XFCE? I just don't think the developers would would work well enough together. So playing devil's advocate just for a moment, Zeb, you can understand why it would be very off-putting to a company that wants to port their application to Linux and... uh, when they go to do it, they look and they go, well, I guess the most popular is Ubuntu. But then you get a bunch of people that go, well, you, can't, you better not use no, man. That is riddled with errors. So, and then the manufacturer looks around and goes, okay, well, what desktop should we use? And yeah. Michael Tanell from Tux Digital reach out and goes, I think we should use, I can't do a mic. I don't Michael. sound that like that. I do not <laughs> sound like that. No, no, it was terrible. <laughs> but, but, he, but he makes the recommendation for KDE Plasma. And, uh, and, and then somebody else goes, well, I think it should be XFC. And then somebody else says, well, I think it should, we shouldn't even have a desktop. It should all be a, a tiny I3. Three. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it makes it very unapproachable mm-hmm. for, for these large companies to come in. And so I, I guess what I would say is what I would like to see is I would, yes, I would like to see less competition, but I would like to see less competition because the things that are good are winning out naturally, not because we have some sort of artificial force limiting what people can do. But I do wish a desktop successor would rise above all the rest and we just all would look and go, that's the one that we're using. And then we all work on that desktop and we all support that yeah. desktop. When manufacturers come to us and Dell says, I want to ship a laptop, we focus on that desktop. And if it's GNOME, great. If it's not, whatever. Mm. But let's decide. I think it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful goal, but I just don't think due to human nature it'll ever happen. Well, yeah. saying there's a standard doesn't mean the others have to die. It's basically saying, hey, every major distribution is going to have, let's say it's GNOME, GNOME. a GNOME desktop environment. You can have the others as well. Those are going to be community supported, but all the major things are going to be GNOME. And that would kind of answer your thought, uh, Noah, of saying, hey, it'll make it easier for companies to enter. But to Zeb's point, I don't know that that would, you would ever find a universal, you know, agreement to being GNOME. In fact, I would say there are a lot of people in the Linux community have this 
dislike for Gnome right now. Um, some people love it, but there's a lot of people who hate it. Um, Maybe they have Gnome. I don't think it's deserved. I have that. But I think a lot of people dislike Gnome. Um, so I don't know you'd ever even have the Linux community agree on that alone, what it, what it would be. Well, okay, so I think that the argument of whether, or the discussion of whether a DE should be standard or not, I think that this is not even the point. I don't think that that matters. I think what matters is the availability of software. I think an application looks at the different UI and they don't care because their application is their application. However they make it is how they make it. So if they want to make an Electron app or they want to make a GTK app or they want to make a Qt app, that's how they make it. They don't care. Now with with a, like a Windows application developer, they're probably going to pick Qt because GTK on Windows is incredibly old. So there's very unlikely that they would use that. So that the issue is that the most popular DE also uses a toolkit that is not the most popular toolkit. So it's like this weird battle between the two. Uh, but also, I think that the the, the invention of, sna- of snaps, flat packs, and app images is what makes the potential of the desktop to be available to a lot of companies. Like because they don't right. want they don't care about what the DE looks like. They don't care about how it's used by the users. They want their applications used. But they also don't want to spend a insane amount of time developing that op- that that application for a small subset of users. Now, and I say small subset, I mean it's millions, sure, but it's also like in comparison to the billions that use Windows or whatever, or the combination mm. of Windows and Mac. Um, it's it's a fair point that they would have. They would want not to spend, uh, you know, the, the, the whole thing that it had as a problem is that the distribution of packages. Prior to snaps, lab pack and app images was atrocious. I didn't. I've been doing it for over a decade, and it was the worst thing about making software for Linux because you have to make different. You have to make different packages for every distro, even distros that are somewhat compatible. They might not be compatible, depending on which one, which version that they are derivative of. Then you have the the deb files, the RPM files. RPMs for uh, Fedora don't work on OpenSUSE or Magia, and vice versa. Then you have other distros that have their own custom packages where they take dev files and convert them into other things. Like It is such a mess that a company sees that and goes, no, absolutely yeah. not. But if you say, hey, you want to use a snap? That's it. That's all you got to do is make a snap or make mm-hmm. an app image. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. There's a lot of companies that switch to doing that, like uh, the Hiri application, the Hiri email client for um, what was the exchange, and also uh, there was a company that does like um, it's called Wavebox, and they make an Electron app that's like a you know have you ever heard of Framebox or Franz or something or Franz or whatever? Yeah, yeah, Franz. Yeah, it, yeah Wavebox is like that, except that the the company was making like a tarball of their stuff and the Electron tarball that's automatically generated. And someone came up to them and say, "Hey, here's a snap system. It makes it really easy for you to distribute your software." And they were like. Okay, cool. And they made a snap. So just so. to be clear, what you're saying is it doesn't matter to have a standardized desktop environment anymore because of the standardized packaging system that we're moving towards like Snap, Flatpak, et cetera. Yeah. Availability of software needs to be standardized. Which the And I also point out that the, the Flatpak, Snaps, and App Images don't necessarily need to be one option because they all work together and then they're all compatible with each other. You don't have to worry about which one is which. So as long as that you have that, I think the potential that Linux can actually become the dominant on the desktop is now here because Windows and Mac have all the, the their main benefit is that a company makes one package and that's it. Yep. 
So now I that agree. we can, we have the potential of having that one package, that's it. I think Linux can do it now, but I, and that's why I don't think the DE is really that important. Very cool. Well, that was a good discussion. Now let's get into some of our gaming news, and then we'll do our tips and trick of the week. Uh, so you know, during the holiday season, you could get strapped for cash really quickly. So I thought, why not go in for this article here that goes through the top ten best free games for Linux, and then the gamers amongst us here can say whether you agree or not. Although I've played a lot of these games with most of you here, so I know you're probably going to agree with them. And this list comes from linuxconfig.org. This is their top free games for Linux here. And of course, we got to give Steam Valve some love for their own games that are free here. We've got Dota 2, which I tried to play once, but frankly, those massive online battle arena games are way above my ability not to figure out, but to play against anybody because anybody who plays them takes it so serious that <laughs> you just, it's just a whole new world there. Yep. Um, but they also had Team Fortress on here, which is a free game you can play uh, available. And Team Fortress is a lot of fun. Yeah, that spy awesome. is zapping my century. <laughs> if you play it, you'll get that reference. But in any case, it's a very cool game. You can play as an engineer. It's a first-person shooter, um, a spy, and different things like that. It's a really cool game to get out there and play. And CSGO went free as well. That was an awesome move. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and, and the Battle Royale mode is free, too. So, like, Yeah, I thought that was huge. CSGO has been kind of a staple competitive first-person shooter, probably the, the best yeah. competitive first-person shooter on the market. Now, what's interesting is I had heard of all of those, Dota 2, Team Fortress, CSGO, and then it was like, what's, what's, what's this... What's the rest of these? I mean, I think I've heard of Zotonic, but I'm, I'm not the gamer, as you know. Well, so. we played Zotonic yeah. on... We played it uh, together. Well, I don't know if you were in it, Zeb, but Probably Michael, not. me... Dark One was there. Dark One, some others. We've had a live stream on my channel where we play it. It's a Unreal Tournament, like futuristic oh, okay. shooter. And yeah. you could get that probably a lot of your like Ubuntu and stuff have it in their repositories. Don't yeah, they? it's actually available as a snap yeah. if you wanted to. Yeah. yeah. And what's this is it, um, OAP thing you got here? Oh, no, sorry, OAD. Yeah, yeah sorry. Zero, zero, old age pension. Zero oh, AD is a... Getting excited like a, there, yeah. yeah zero, <laughs> AD is like, zero AD is like an RTS. Uh, it's similar to like civilization type. Yep. You've got uh, Wakfu, which I hadn't heard of, an uh, anime turn-based RPG MMO completely free. You've got the Dark Mod, uh, Dark Mod a thief-like steampunk-based world, which I know Dark One would love that, by the way. Hedge Wars a remake of the classic Worms game, and Awesome Knots, which is a free Steam game mm -hmm. that is also a massive online battle arena game like Dota, uh, but is a side-scrolling version of it. So, CZeb, uh, because I was covering this article, not a single pixelated game here, but uh, we'll get you next week. How about that? Absolutely. No, some of those, some of those games look, look pretty good. Uh, but, but talking of speak, and speaking of free games, I'm surprised that Super Tux Cart didn't make that list. Um, now, is it because it's not easy to install and it comes down as a tarball or something? Uh, no, it was in there, but I I didn't put it on that because you were going to announce the new makeover with it. So it was actually on right. their list. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Well, apparently it gets a new makeover um, and they've updated um, a lot of the visual effects of the game. So they've got a re revamped speedometer. Now, I've actually played this on my mobile phone because, yes, I installed it. <laughs> And can I see the speedometer? No, because it's too small on it's too small on the screen. But anyway, I'll have a look at it when I put it on my PC. Um, but they've got more accurate nitro gauges, so 
I mean, I've only just about handled the let's go forward and not fall off the edge of the track and die. <laughs> um, so, and as for those banana skins, well, I think I've gone off bananas for life now. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just can't not hit them. Um, it is so weird. They've got a, a lot of improved maps. Now, the one thing I will say is that, yes, you can play it on your phone and, yes, you can play it on your PC. And had I found this 55 years ago when I was five years old, I might oh, have got excited yeah. about well, it. Okay. But, well, yeah. but really, we will kick Cuts, you out of the Linux community for talking trash about Supercuts. I am a driver. I love driving. This isn't driving. This is just. This is this is a nostalgic uh, thing for like Mario Kart, essentially. And yeah. it, it's 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 a open source, uh, free culture mascot thing of like skin on top of a Mario Mario Kart style. And it's it's actually really awesome. I've I've played it a lot. I'm very good at it. I'm just um, whoa. <laughs> why did you even have to throw that in there? Because Michael? it's got their multiplayer is coming out with it. So oh we're gonna get to God. play with like a big battle of like you know I, I think it's like sixteen racers or something. We got to do that because like see, that, when you get when you guys get all nostalgic, I think you throw this awesome out way too much. Now if you want to talk no. about an awesome driving game, Gran Turismo. I know it's not on available on any other platform when it's proprietary. But that is an awesome driving game. Super Tux Car would it's, become it's, enjoyable. It's, it's not, not a driving game. You're, you're like somebody who says, game. Zeb, I like Nintendo, but I hate Mario. That's what you're saying when you say, I love Linux, but I don't like Super Tux Car. <laughs> you might as well just murder the mascot of our very operating system by saying that. You literally broke my heart, Zeb. <laughs> Did I? Shame. <laughs> Do I look upset? <laughs> a little bit you'll cry yeah. later you will super tux card is awesome it's got new updates out there and i am putting in a vote because i know we've got to pick some games to do at the southeast linux fest i, I think this would be a fun one to do at southeast linux fest i mean yeah, i'll have a go at that i mean it's I nice don't, I don't gamble a lot i would show up for super tux card though yeah <laughs> yep. my man i, I think yeah, that'd be great about. like uh, a tournament, a supercar start tournament, tournament at the, itself, as well as like you know, like a Zenotic one or something like that. Like th this, mm -hmm. like the supercar card is a great game, especially if like because the multiplayer is not there yet. We don't know if it's going to be there by the then or not. But the, the it's great on land, so that would be awesome. So yeah, I look forward. I tell you what, Ryan, here's something to organize. Yeah, if you okay. guys can get me over to self next year, yeah, and yeah. you can get four golf carts okay. and four tux suits. Okay. We'll all have a we'll all have a tux competition in the car park. It's done because you're driving around. I mean, oh, okay. You guys, not, you guys are forgetting how busy the uh, the hotel parking lot is. If you think you're having a competition in the uh, that's true. Lot. Yeah, that's true. It's a good thought though. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we'll we're see. talking. We're talking about social media, right? And we're talking about Mastodon and uh, and if you wanted to do a Nextcloud instance and all of that, right? What we don't talk about is the way that you interface with those because most people probably think that you got to use a web client, right? Not anymore. A desktop client for Mastodon, which is decentralized on the uh, open source social network, is called Whalebird. And that's this week's software spotlight. Think nice. Facebook without all the spying. Whalebird lets you have a client of Mastodon on your desktop and helps you organize your feeds, notifications, all of that stuff. You can also set up themes, filters to make your open source socializing better than ever. This is a great application and uh, especially helpful when you're managing multiple accounts. So let's say you have an account for your... Uh, for Destination Linux, and you have a personal account, you can have both of those and swap between the two and, 
and uh, and have that localized experience, which I'm always a fan of. Anytime I can, I always like to have a local software experience and not do anything in the web browser. So much so that I've actually paid our developers at Alta Speed from time to time to wrap a web application in a native app in a native wrapper thing, so that I can actually have like an icon and a minimize and all that. Yeah. I love this application, but Michael, I was seeing, I think in our Telegram group, I've been using this for a little while that you were like, hey, this software spotlight's really cool. Yeah. When you, we talked about this in a, in a previous episode, but I didn't really have time to give it a, a chance. This, But I, I was really frustrated with the way I was using uh, the desktop for with Mastodon because Mastodon is uh, not very good on the desktop as far as like it's by default because it, 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 it works good. It looks good. It has like the, uh, the tweet deck style layout. And that's nice, but there was it's really a pain to do multiple accounts with the regular version. Even if you have the container tab system in Firefox, it's still kind of a pain. But Wellbird solved it completely. Like when I installed it and tried it out, uh, it, it's actually really cool because you don't actually have to log in. You just say, here's the thing I want, and you go to Mastodon, and you're logged in on the Mastodon, and it gives you like a key to put in. So it like it's it's a it's a, like a nice secure way of not having to give your password to an application also. Uh, but what's what's really cool about it is the multiple account system of switching back and forth takes seconds, where it used to be just the most annoying thing. Like I've done I've done in a while with with applications. So I think that uh, Wellbird is actually great, and I've been using it as my exclusive approach for desktop Mastodon. I do think there are a couple things that it could improve on. But overall, I think it's a great thing. The filtering system is amazing. It supports regex. And if you don't know what that is, it means regular expression, where you can create a, a certain type of code filter system where it will automatically remove things that are not uh, like, instead of like, you know, you can do a search and filter for a specific thing. Whereas regex allows you to search or filter out everything else uh, or everything but something else or whatever, like multiple different things. You could like, I only want this thing, but not if it has as also associated to this. Like it's it's a really good option, and I think that's really cool. I, I do wish they would uh, make it easier to um, manage certain things while you're in multiple accounts, or, and also if they added multiple instances, that would be fantastic. Um, the the to be clear, the multiple instance thing, you can do different instances in the same Wellbird uh, like setup. But what I mean is that I want to subscribe to multiple instances. I want to have I want to have a tab where I can go, let's say, for example, you are using the Mastodon social or dot social, which is the main one or the first one anyway. And then you also want to pay attention to Linux rocks dot online. Unfortunately with regular Mastodon, you can't do that. Like it's just not possible. So if in order to do that, you actually have to have an account on both instances to pay attention to the timeline of both of them. If like it is possible that a client could implement that feature, and if Wellbird had that, it would be the best desktop client, just period for Mastodon. Uh, <laughs> so that would be really cool. Uh, the other thing would be like making it easier to like. I would like it so that if I wanted to, you know, you sound like one of those spoiled kids. It's like I no. want, I want to want. You know what you do in open source? You go contribute, Michael. I have. Go suge- I am suggesting you contribute these to the code. You're suggesting it, but are you writing the code to fix it? That's what I'm asking. That's ridiculous. Necessary testing so that Q and A process can be completed. Correct. And new features can be added as soon as Correct. possible. Correct. Wilbert's per- amazing. You're like, but I want this. No, no, I want no, this, no, no, I want no. This, all I'm this. saying, all I'm saying is, it's amazing. It is the best thing that I have found for desktop Mastodon. It would be the best Mastodon client. Period. With these things. That's all I'm okay. saying. It would be Michael approved. We'd get a Michael stamp of approval. 
What yes, else? It already oh, has the what? stamp. It would just be a like a, a the, the the ink would be darker. How about that? I like it. <laughs> I like it. So listen, if you're a developer for Whalebird, think about the potential of getting a Michael stamp, darker stamp, out there, and all the benefits that would bring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you could have it called Whalebird. Yeah, well, yeah. I'll say it like that every time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So next up is the uh, the tip and trick, which is kind of like a software spotlight as well, but it's it's a really this is very specific one. It's really nice um, that it allows you to uh, read eBooks and all kinds of like documents and stuff on like much more easily and more organized. It is Caliber, which is an ebook or a EPUB manager. So you can collect various different ebooks and uh, you know you can it's it it works with Amazon stuff as well as uh, like the the open source stuff like EPUB and things like that. And it's it's a great approach. I do think that it's a uh, it looks kind of dated a little bit, but oh my gosh, it does. Here I'm they, just saying, what is it with you? And I'm, I'm being un, you can you're unsatisfiable in the software realm. It's a fantastic saying. tool. It is brilliant. It I absolutely brilliant. love this tool. Do you think? And, it, do you think it looks beautiful? No, it really needs to be updated. Okay, there you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I think Caliber's great. It works great. It like as far as reading eBooks is one of the best options you can do on Linux. That's all I'm saying. It is. And you can use this, by the way, for news magazines. You know, a lot of them have digital subscriptions, those type of things to use it to download there anywhere where EPUB or other formats. By the way, if you have some of the other formats that are DRM, I hear there are ways you could remove the DRM and move it to an EPUB. You didn't hear it from here. I'm not saying you should do that. But if you owned it and bought it, you kind of should own it and be able to do what you want with it. But I agree. apparently there are ways you could strip that DRM off and use it Um we don't endorse that, but apparently it can happen. But, oh, yeah, I was just saying it was technically possible. Yeah, by the way, uh, e-readers are really – one of the reasons why I wanted to spotlight this program now is e-readers are really a popular gift during the holidays. People get mm-hmm. these e-reader devices, and they're extremely beneficial devices. I love being able to carry 15,000 books on me. Um, I've stayed away kind of from the Kindle stuff for a while now, and I went to a Kobo reader, uh, which has a little bit less of – well, a lot less of kind of some of the invasive – data practices that can happen with Amazon-ish products. Also fun to Uh, say. Yeah, and Kobo has a fantastic e-reader. They have every bit of the benefits and capabilities of the Amazon devices like the waterproofing and and the special e-ink screen displays and the resolutions and all of that. I believe they come out of Canada, um, but they also have the open bookstore as well so you can buy your books um, that are available on their store that are DRM free right from there. Nice. Um, but also in like Humble Bundle and stuff, they will offer books for every now and then. In fact, I've got dozens of books from Humble Bundles uh, that are in the EPUB format. So that's a great way to keep them there. And then you can transfer them to your favorite device. You can even transfer them to your phone uh, through the software. So it's got a lot of capabilities. Um, it's a little ugly, like Michael said. I didn't say it was ugly. I just said it was ugly. But it's an <laughs> ugly duckling that turns beautiful when you start using it. Yeah, and just to mention, one of our patrons said, not all the books on the Kobo store are DRM-free, but we all have a link in our show notes of the open book store that are all DRM-free when you search. So there's a section of their store there, but just to make mm-hmm. that clear. Uh, that's that's it for this week, and uh, this that's it for this celebration episode of episode 100 of Destination Linux. And uh, you got a message for the the folks watching, Ryan? Well, it's really not it because our patrons will get to join us on Sunday 
for well, yeah, but this episode is episode one hundred, the second part. That's true, but when I yeah. edit it together and it's the recorded it'll version, one. it'll be <laughs> one. <laughs> exactly. So well, fine then. They won't anymore. <laughs> well, a, a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting, watching, listening to Destination Linux. It's been an amazing journey. Uh, not all of us have been here for the full 100 episodes. None of us have uh, been here for the full 100 episodes. Yeah, none of us have been here for the full 100. Uh, we, we've had some change-ups and things uh, throughout there, but the fact that Destination Linux continues on is impo- is a big reason is because of the community out mm-hmm. there and the support that you have. It drives us to do this each and every week, even though we all have full-time jobs and everything else that we do. Having the community support, the emails that you send us, the subscribers, the downloads, the fact that we're downloaded in over 100 countries, that type of stuff keeps it going. So thank you so much for doing that. We love our patrons. Our patrons allow us to do things like maybe flying Zeb to Southeast Linux Fest. And you can become a patron for a dollar. And that's darn near free, as we say every week. And that helps us be able to do stuff like that, getting equipment and be able to uh, show up to events and uh, bring Linux to everywhere we can because Linux is even at Mars now, right? And and Zeb, how can people get a hold of us? Um, Well, they can get a hold of us at comments at destinationlinux.org. And as a special one-off, as I mentioned earlier in the show, just send us your favorite episode, your favorite snippet, um, you know, which which bit brought you the most joy? What did you like best about the first 100 episodes? Or do you like the fact that we're going to be going on for another 100 episodes? Let us know, as I say, via the email comments or via our Telegram groups, Discord, Google Plus, while it still lasts, Twitter, <laughs> Mastodon, and probably a plethora of other ways that Michael has listed on our destinationslinux.org forward slash contact. So, Michael, what have they got to hit? You need to remember to like the smash button and to share the show on social media and to rate it into various different like podcast apps and whatever you use, things like that. Uh, But also, you should check out our individual channels. We all have our own individual thing. Uh, for for example, you can go to Das Geek for Ryan, where he does a lot of hardware reviews and things like that. And Zeb, you can catch him uh, tearing down some caravans in a Euro Truck Simulator and on his streams. And uh, Noah is doing the Ask Noah Show weekly. Uh, love that show. Yep, absolutely. Where you can ask him all kinds of questions uh, about whether it's business related or Linux related, things like that. And you can check me out on Tux Digital. Uh, dot com where I do a variety of different things like another podcast for Linux news and as well as I recently started a new series where I explain how to say certain types of project names as in a lot of times people would ask <laughs> even on the show would ask me what how to say them so I was like yeah. you know I'll just make a series so that, I love that idea <laughs> so everybody have a great week and remember the journey itself is just as important as the destination thank you everyone bye bye 100. Yeah.